0: Chapter 1 A Real Shit-Fest The figure leaped from atop the tree and flew several hundred meters through the air, landing on another crown, before swiftly taking off once more. A few beasts below considered attacking, but once they felt the difference in grade and power, they swiftly changed their minds. It was far over 300 kilometers from Haven, and the density of trees was only increasing. Furthermore, many of the beasts were now reaching around level 80, It was a bit deeper in than where Misty and Hawkey had placed their nest back before they relocated to the city. The figure was, naturally, Jake, who had decided to ditch the wings and do some tree hopping instead. Would flying be faster? Most definitely, but making massive leaps from tree to tree just felt awesome. One step mile wasn't that usable due to the sheer density of trees, making it hard to travel in a straight line on the ground. The trunks could be many meters in radius and reach hundreds of meters into the air "'reminding him a bit of the outer area of the tutorial. "'Thinking about it, perhaps the tutorial forest had been inspired "'by the true forest here on the reformed planet. "'Or was it the other way around? "'Maybe a bit of both. "'Either way, it wasn't the first time he had noted the familiarity. "'It was quite certain this wasn't the same thing, though, "'because, sadly, no lockboxes. "'Jake wanted some new gears soon.' His whole get-up was beginning to feel a bit dated, even if it had only been a few months. The only great pieces of gear he really had were his necklace, mask, no scimitar, and, surprisingly enough, boots. Were those boots the ones with the lowest required level and still only rare rarity? Sure, but they were also still the toughest damn things he had besides his mask, which he still hadn't managed to put even a slight scratch on. He doubted he would find anything within this forest, but one could always be hopeful, even if he couldn't find a lockbox, maybe he could find some good materials to use in the future. One might wonder why Jake didn't use his newly upgraded Touch of the Malefic Viper to transmute his current gear, and the reason for that was quite simple. Because he was 90% sure it would end up making the majority of his gear worse than it purely was. Jake's version had to rely on the existing in chance, and as his many tests had shown, using Touch would ruin what was already placed on the gear. A lot of his gear had stat-giving effects, and Jake honestly had no idea how to replicate that. The only thing he would do was turn those stats into possibly making the armor poison people touching it, or maybe use his arcane affinity to make the armor a lot more durable. No, or he could make it self-destruct by transmuting it with a shipload of the destructive part of his arcane mana. Quite honestly, he would prefer just to have stats over that. The only item he was considering actually transmuting was his windsore bow. It wasn't because he didn't want or like the enchant on it. In fact, he found its ability to remove wind resistance and even turn the wind into an assisting force to be damn good. No, the issue was that he feared it would break if he didn't. Arcane power shot was not a gentle skill. Far from it. While he charged the attack, the bow and his body would both be put under considerable strain, and the bow would be forced to absorb obscene amounts of energy— and have the highly destructive mana also coat its exterior. He could handle his body breaking a bit. That would heal by itself. But he couldn't handle his weapon suddenly exploding in the middle of a fight. He still vividly remembered how the first infused power shot he'd ever used absolutely destroyed the tutorial starting bow. Without a new bow or transmuting his current one, he feared that could happen and not that long. For now, it was fine, as the bow still held up but as time went on, it would surely become an issue. Not just because he gained levels or more stats, but also just because he would get better at using the skill and pour more mana into it. Actually, can it handle a full-throttle Arcane Power Shot with Limit Break active at 20% as it is? He suddenly wondered, remembering that he had never used Arcane Power Shot while using his Limit Break. Yeah, I really don't know. The wisest decision would likely be for Jake to stop now and just transmute the damn bow already, But he really didn't want to. His entire body felt restless, and he really needed a fight. He had yet to truly battle anything after reaching D-grade, after all. No, the fight with Misty and Hawkey didn't count. That had just been a bit of sparring. Also, he needed to test out his scimitar of cursed hunger, too, didn't he? It would be a shame if he just one-shot most opponents. His travel continued for a bit longer, and he noticed barely any beasts below 80 in the area. A few of them saw him and ran away, but some of them acted a bit more suspiciously and began following him. They were these monkey-like creatures with an extremely long tail that they used to swing from tree to tree. They were also surprisingly small for beasts at their level, being only about the size of a chimpanzee. Light-tail monkey, level 83. The name contained light-tail, but from what Jake could detect, the light in that word didn't refer to light magic, It was more related to their low weight. He noticed how the small branches they used to swing didn't even budge, and how they appeared to float a bit through the air with every swing. It was like they weighed nearly nothing at times. I wonder why they follow me, Jake thought, a bit cheekily, as he smiled. He didn't feel any danger from them, but only a strong sense of curiosity. There were more than a dozen on his tail now, with a few more joining every minute. He also noted how they were the only type of beasts in the area of a decent level. Honestly, it couldn't be more obvious that this was their territory, even if they put up glowing neon signs. Well, their constant screeching as they followed him also made him believe they weren't happy with him being there. It was a little rude, actually, and woe would he be if security showed up with a few degrades. A few more minutes ticked by. With every passing moment, More monkeys followed him, and Jake felt the entire atmosphere of the area change. It reminded Jake a bit of the manner released by his pylon, but it was clearly different. Actually, wasn't it a bit closer to the energy released by the giant lightning tree? Not as in it being lightning affinity, but by how it was powerful and yet neutral. This energy is likely part of the reason why the beasts were able to evolve as they did. The very environment is nurturing them at all times, Jake even saw a few trees around with budding fruits. None were ripe yet, and he suspected the monkeys ate them as soon as they were, but he believed every one of those fruits on the trees were considered low-level natural treasures. Ten minutes later, he felt the first aura lock onto him. A few seconds later, a second and a third joined the first one. A small smile crept onto his lips as he sensed that all three of them were degrades. Finally, he had reached the inner area of the territory of these monkeys. And one had to remember, he was still in the outer parts of the forest as a whole. He saw the three of them the same moment they laid their eyes on him. They all looked a lot like their E-grade brethren, but they were slightly larger and had two additional tails instead of only one. Try like Tail Monkey, level 102. Try like Tail Monkey, level 103. Try like Tail Monkey, level 105. A bit disappointing with their revels, he thought, as he saw the many E-grade monkeys surround him in his sphere, all hiding in the trees clustered around the one he occupied. He was standing on a branch nearly a hundred meters in the air, with the three D-grades only a few hundred meters in front of him, just staring him down. Just as Jake considered whether he had to open the show himself, another presence arrived, one quite a lot stronger than the other three, but far from enough to make Jake feel threatened. Try Tail Monkey Crusher, level 112. This one was buffer than the others, but not much was different besides that. It was likely just a more powerful variant of the other three. It had Crusher in its name, too, which was kind of cool, but it also gave away what their power set was all about. Weight magic, gravity, something like that. Jake was excited as he summoned his wings and prepared to fight. The moment the two wings appeared, the monkey saw it as a sign of aggression and attacked. Well, they had planned on attacking all along, based on how they had clearly surrounded him. He had just sped up their decision-making a bit. With his sphere, he saw the regular E-grade light-tailed monkeys begin condensing some kind of substance in their hands that they promptly threw after Jate. He instantly had a bad feeling when he noticed the nature of their projectile and didn't hesitate to dodge. The substance smashed into the tree and made a dent in the supremely robust bart, clearly showing that some magic had been used on it. It was more condensed, heavier, and more robust than it should naturally be, because Jake saw exactly what the monkey had thrown. Did you just throw literal shit at me? That's right, the monkeys above level 80 used their own shit as their chosen weapon, making Jake's next move completely and utterly justified. After swiftly summoning his bow, he turned and fired an arcane arrow. The monkey and his crosshairs didn't even have time to adequately react before its head was blown off by the exploding arrow, sending monkey parts flying everywhere. You have slain light monkey, level 81. Jake saw the notification as well as its lack of experience earned. Seems like my theory of only earning experience from higher-leveled or at least equal-leveled opponents is true, he thought, as he dodged a pile of poo and retaliated by firing a splitting arrow. The singular arrow appeared to split for a second, but soon the copies lost their shapes. Jake frowned as only the original arrow found its goal and exploded. Dodging a few more shit slings, he fired one of the non-exploding arrows with splitting arrow, and while it appeared for a bit longer than the shot before, it soon fizzled away too. Splitting arrow does not work with my arcane hunter's arrows, he thought, both perplexed and annoyed. The fact that he had to consider how to make the damn skill work while dodging an avalanche of literal shit didn't help either. He kept trying to use splitting Arrow and figure out what was wrong, as he fought the E-grade monkeys. The D-grade still hung back for now, but Jake could see they were getting impatient at their lower-ranking brethren's inability to hit their target. Finally, one of the D-grades moved. Its three tails sent a wave of mana towards him, and Jake instantly felt his entire body become heavier as he allowed it to hit him. It was enough to stump him for a fraction of a second and cause a bit of the damn feces to hit his cloak. Thank Billy it only hit the cloak. The impact from the shit wasn't an issue, but he instantly noticed that something was off. It was way too damn heavy. Just the small part that hit him weighed down on him, and while it was far from enough to affect him, he suddenly understood the strategy of these monkeys. They would pelt their target with shit, covering them in the substance to weigh them down, and then the degrades would move in and enhance the target's weight even more, amplifying the effect and effectively crippling the target. It was actually a pretty sound strategy that Jake could see working well on many beasts, especially larger ones. It also allowed the entire tribe to fight together, and the degrades didn't have to risk their lives that often. Of course, the whole strategy did have a few weaknesses. Okay, a lot of weaknesses. Now, while he did find out that the damn stuff was very adhesive and even resisted his mana when he tried to push it off, it wasn't impossible. He could also just toss the cloak away if it really became an issue. Or, you know, just summon mana shields or something. On top of that, there were also the far simpler solutions of just not being hit at all, fighting them with ranged attacks, or using a mix of both, like Jake was doing. The strategy also wouldn't be that effective against larger groups of enemies, Seeing their initial tactic fail, the three other D-grades also joined the fray. One of the three regular tri-light tails kept sending the weird weight magic against Jake, while the other two whipped their tails his way. He wondered what they were up to until he felt the air bend. Boom! Two massive blasts of force were sent after him, exploding the branch he had just been standing on. One of the two that had just fired the blast after him then retreated and began using some kind of magic on the big boy, the crusher. They fought like a team, making it quite clear this group of monkeys had battled together before. Sadly, they stood before a foe far above their own level of strength. Jake bent backward as a massive tail swipe from the crusher passed over him and obliterated a tree to his side. Another tail quickly came down like a scorpion stinger as the hunter stepped on the air and retreated a bit with a flap of his wings. First, that one. He used a space he had opened up to fire a quick arcane power shot towards the tri light tail monkey that was slowing him down. It tried to dodge at the last moment, but found itself frozen by a glance from Jake and was hit square in the chest. The arrow didn't explode, but rather pierced through it, leaving a large hole and sending it flying more than a hundred meters through the forest, ping-ponging between trees on the way. It wasn't dead, but it was out of commission for now. Next Chapter 2 Enhanced Splitting Arrow The three remaining monkeys watched as their comrade was blasted away in shock, but it only made them more aggressive than before. With one down, he turned his attention to the crusher. It came at him with tail swinging and arms flailing, now even more berserk than before. It was pretty strong, but not very fast and Jake easily evaded its simple movements as he took out his melee weapons. In a fluid motion, he ran his palms over both, drawing blood and coating them in blood of the malefic viper. Venom Fang felt oddly frail in his hand as he held it, and he knew the weapon would soon be unable to keep up with his progress. Speaking honestly, he had a feeling it would soon break anyway, him growing stronger or not. The weapon had been through a lot, and he would prefer for it not to break entirely. But for this hunt, you'll be just fine, old buddy. He blocked the clawed hand of the crusher as he felt the weight on the blade. To Jake, it felt like the beast before him weighed tons, yet when it jumped on the trees or swung from a branch, the wood didn't even budge, showing there was indeed some magic going on there. Being this close, he also noticed what appeared to be a passive aura of sorts around the monkey, weighing him down even further. Even the regular D-ranks in the background had this aura active. Jake angled himself a bit so the monkey-releasing blasts couldn't get a good shot as he landed small cuts on the body of the crusher. Slowly, the scimitar began glowing red, and Jake felt the curse within spin to life as its hunger permeated his body. Luckily for it, today it would be sated. With every landed cut, a small stream of red energy entered the blade and Jake himself, restoring a few health points to him while draining it from the crusher. Simultaneously, the poison quickly accumulated in its system, and the monkey soon noticed that something was very wrong. It didn't know it yet, but it was practically already dead. The two other D-grade monkeys in the background tried to help as they also entered melee and began swinging their tails and hands. One of them even tried to grab and hold him down while increasing its own weight, but Jake was faster than all of them. While the Crusher had more pure strength than him, he had more than the regular ones. All the E-grades attempted to throw more of their damn feces here and there, but it was difficult for them, with Jake surrounded by the three D-grades. Jake had to admit that the pressure building up from the three weight-increasing auras was beginning to get cumbersome as he moved to finish one of the beasts off. He laid eyes on all three of them and used gaze of the apex hunter, making all of them freeze up. His scimitar was coated in a mix of arcane mana and the energy of the curse. The blade extended as he swept it horizontally through the neck of the closest monkey, sending its head flying into the air. You have slain, try Lighttail Monkey, level 103. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. A moment after its head left its neck, the two surviving monkeys became able to move again, and their fury had spiked even more than before. But it was all for naught. The crusher was already sluggish from all the poison, and the other regular one wasn't doing that much better itself, having taken a few solid stabs from Venom Fang already. Perhaps realizing they were both screwed, they held nothing back. It was as if the air shimmered, and Jake felt like he had just been thrown deep underwater. The pressure mounted and forced him to the ground with the two monkeys in tow. Their two oars overlapped as they tried to crush him, and Jake became unable to avoid even the attacks of the shit shitslingers. Without hesitation, he erected a barrier of mana around himself, courtesy of many hours of practice with Hawkeye and had all the feces land on that. He felt every impact drain some mana, and he even felt that the shit could hasten the mana's corrosion, but if there was one thing Jake didn't lack currently, it was mana. Also, while he couldn't exactly jump around, he could still move a bit. He took out his bow and, with great willpower, stood up straight as he began channeling it, He felt like his bones creaked a bit doing so, but his body was durable enough to easily handle it. The purple-pink mana swirled around them as the energy began building up. Both D-grade monkeys noticed this, and the crusher moved into attack, moving incredibly slow since it was also clearly affected by its own aura. Jake smirked a bit as he lifted his foot and took a step forward, using his sphere to travel nearly a hundred meters backward. The ground where he had just stood exploded when the massive tail of the crusher tried to do exactly what the creature was named for doing. A small crater was formed as the soil was kicked up, the crusher confused by its blow missing the human that shouldn't be able to move. Its surprise only doubled when an arcane arrow parted the cloud of dust and blew its head off. You have slain Tri light Tail Monkey Crusher, level 112, bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. Jake instantly felt the pressure on him almost disappear, and he turned his gaze to the last degrade that was just standing there, looking like it was about to shit itself. Before it got the chance to throw that hypothetical shit, Jake put it down with another arcane power shot, freezing the monkey as it attempted to flee. He barely had time to spot the very last D-grade monkey peek out from behind a tree before it quickly bolted away, rushing further into the forest. It was the one he had sent flying earlier, and it had only barely managed to get its bearings and return in time to see its comrades slaughtered. With those gone, let's figure out by splitting arrows and working, Jake thought, moving on to more exciting things. The degrades were honestly too weak for him. He reckoned those four together only managed to reach the level of a single thunder rock, even with their levels. This wasn't surprising, as solitary creatures were often more powerful individually. They had more skills to square up their own shortcomings and just more stats overall. This didn't mean that beasts or monsters in groups were weaker, though. Often they had powerful leaders, even for their level. such as, well, pretty much all the dungeon bosses from the tutorial were examples of this. On top of that, these leaders often had skills that allowed their subjects to level and grow faster. Jake didn't doubt that these monkeys had some strong leaders hidden away in the core of their territory— and he was very much looking forward to paying them a visit. It would only be polite to teach them some basic courtesy, wouldn't it? Such as not allowing shit-throwing. But before that, he had a skill to upgrade, and more than a hundred E-grade monkeys still hiding in the trees all around him, thinking he couldn't see them. The joke was on them, because Jake had more perception than could ever be reasonable for a level 101 human. He turned to the side with his bow in hand, and fired towards a tree nearby, trying to use splitting arrow. When using the stable version of his arcane arrows, as before, they would persist for a bit longer. Yet again, the arrow appeared to split for a second, but just as the outline appeared, they dispersed. Dake had only consumed a bit of stamina from the shot, and he instantly found the issue. Arcane arrows use mana, you dummy. The three fundamental energies for humans, vital energy, also called health points, mana and stamina, were able to act like one another, but this required a bit of finesse on the user's part. That was how he made his mana act like vital energy and created health potions, after all. However, the transformation of energy was a time-consuming process, making it not at all viable in combat, unless used with some specific technique. Self-healing spells, as an example, were often just a skill transforming a portion of mana or stamina into health points. Jake had considered at one point if this was exploitable, you know, having a skill that effectively turned 500 mana into 1,000 health, and then a skill that turned 500 health into 1,000 mana. Couldn't you go infinite with that? Sadly, the viper shot that down quickly. He learned that you didn't truly transform the energy, you just allowed it to act as another kind of energy for a bit. You had to use it or it would just disperse, like if Jake consumed a mana potion while full. Going back to splitting arrow, that skill was entirely a physical skill. It required stamina to use, even if the stamina acted a lot like mana normally would as it duplicated the arrows. One could say the quiver was the same, too, as it summoned physical arrows. At least they were viewed as physical entities by the system. Jake's arcane arrows, on the other hand, were considered entirely magical. Honestly, the easiest way to spot the difference was just what stats the skills benefited from. If it benefited from physical stats, it was a stamina move. If it benefited from mental stats, it was a mana move, and if it used stats from both camps, it had a mixed cost. His own arcane power shot was an example of this. The arcane arrows only benefited from wisdom and intelligence for the exploding ones, and wisdom and perception for the stable arrows. Perception was a stat that didn't really fit into either camp as a physical or mental stat, but was a bit of both. That was because, objectively speaking, according to Jake, perception was the best stat. In summary, Jake needed to change the splitting arrow skill to work with his mana rather than his stamina. However, this was easier said than done. Summoning an arcane arrow was naturally easy for Jake, considering that was the point of arcane hunter's arrows. No, the issue was doing it while in flight, and at the same time allowing them to retain their innate power and momentum. Any attack he used had inherent power in it, and not just in the form of physical momentum or force. Jake's attacks, especially, were different. All his arrows dealt damage based on distance and perception because of his archery of vast horizons, so he had to make sure the arrows were still considered archery, no matter how weird that sounds. With all that in mind, Jake went to work. He kept trying to use the skill, making small changes here and there. Dozens of light-tailed monkeys fell during his experimentation, but even more of them were just perplexed at how bad the accuracy of their attacker was. A few of the shots were made with the intent of the arrow splitting, after all. After half an hour, another small group of D-grades showed up. Two crushers in this one, both around the level of the one he killed earlier, as well as four of the more regular D-grade, tri-light-tailed monkeys. One of them was the straggler who'd run off earlier. Another five minutes after that, there were two dead crushers and four dead regular D-grade monkeys. Jake didn't let any of them run off for reinforcements this time, as he wanted to spend some time figuring out the whole splitting arrow thing, and doing that while having two buffed-up, hulking monkeys try and smash him would be a bit distracting. He would come to them in due time. The next few hours were spent with Jake trying different things. Around two hours in, he had some progress when he managed to split the arrow while in mid-air but the new arrow just fell harmlessly to the ground instantly, having lost all momentum. He needed the physical aspects of the skill to work too, so he began experimenting with a mix of stamina and mana. The hardest part was having it all work with the splitting arrow skill. He had an innate connection to any attack he used, and to activate his intent for the arrow to split using the splitting arrow skill took quite a bit of practice. If he tried to do it without using the skill as an anchor, he had no confidence at all in getting it to work. It was a good example of why skills were still valuable. They did stuff that was honestly far too complicated for Jake to do on his own, and it wasn't even like Splitting Arrow was the most complex. During his progress, only a single additional D-grade showed up after that large group, and that one was swiftly put down. No levels yet, but he hadn't really expected any either. Five hours into his practice, most of his time was spent considering how to improve things while looking for more prey. He felt absolutely no regret about slaughtering a few hundred monkeys, and even if he questioned whether committing monkey genocide was acceptable, a single shit-flinging bastard was enough to deter that sentiment. It was on the sixth hour that he met his first partial success as an arrow was summoned and lasted for a few seconds before flickering out. It even managed to strike a tree before doing so, penetrating deeply into the bark. 15 minutes later, his improved version of Splitting Arrow passed the threshold of improvement set by the system, and a notification appeared. Splitting Arrow, uncommon. One arrow becomes many. One fallen prey becomes a field of death. Fire an arrow that splits into several copies while in flight. Each arrow strikes with the power of the original, adds a small bonus to the effect of agility and strength when using Splitting Arrow. Upgrades to Enhanced Splitting Arrow, rare. A skill most often used by archers, now usurped and reformed by the avaricious arcane hunter, allows you to clone your arrows while in flight, allowing them to retain innate magical properties. Each arrow strikes with the power of the original. Adds a small bonus to the effect of agility and wisdom when using enhanced splitting arrow. With the upgrade, the system assistance was entirely in place when he fired his enhanced splitting arrow. It consumed both mana and stamina as he did so quite a bit more mana than stamina. It only split into three arrows, far fewer than before, but each struck with impressive power. Three giant explosions sounded out as the forest shook, and monkey parts were sent flying everywhere. Jake nodded in satisfaction as he dismissed his bow and began traveling further into the domain of the light-tailed monkeys, leaving only more dead monkeys in his wake. One could even say that the monkey tribe was having quite the shitty day. Chapter 3 Dervish Sometimes in life one must take the good with the bad, Then disappointment was an unavoidable element of existence. To be honest, Jake shouldn't really have been disappointed, though, as it was a bit unrealistic to expect it to work. But damn it, Jake wanted his splitting arrow to also duplicate the poison. Was that really too much to ask? Shortly after upgrading the skill, Jake had, with much excitement, tried putting his blood on the arrow the type of poison most aligned with himself and his mana, and duplicating it with enhanced splitting arrow. It did exactly the same as the normal splitting arrow, with only the real one retaining the poison. No big deal, Jake had thought. He was already on a roll and had just upgraded the skill in rarity, so couldn't he just keep working on it and upgrade it again, allow it to also duplicate poison on it? Jake wasn't even going to be greedy. It was fine if it only worked with his blood. That shouldn't be so hard, right? Wrong. It was damn near impossible. No matter what Jake tried, nothing worked. The poison simply wasn't at all considered part of the arrow, so it didn't duplicate. It wasn't an issue of resources or methods. The skill just wasn't compatible at all with what he wanted it to do. It was like trying to use his brew potion to make a shotgun. Well, there was one consolation to it all, at least. A lot of dead monkeys. A lot even a good bunch of D-grades, allowing Jake to net his first real level in his class after reaching D-grade. Ding! Class, Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached low 101, stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. Jake checked the quest to see how much time he had before the World Congress and noticed that he still had a bit over four days left. It would take him a few hours to get back to the city with how far he had traveled but that still meant he had plenty of time to explore the rest of the monkey-infested area of the forest he found himself in. Where he was now, he nearly only saw D-grades, and almost all enemies were monkeys. The vast majority were the normal tri-light-tail monkeys, but there were also plenty of crushers and even another one called a suppressor. Yeah, their names weren't exactly subtle. To the surprise of no one, the suppressors specialized in suppressing things with their weight magic. Besides those two, there was also another variant, one Jake was looking at right at that moment. Try Light-tailed Dervish, level 123. It was tall and slender, with three tails like all the other monkeys, but its tails themselves were different. While the Crusher had far bulkier ones, the Dervish had tails that looked almost flat. Jake had wondered why they looked like that, but he soon learned the reason— When Jake came across the group of monkeys, they were in the middle of a battle against another beast, a large, bulky bear that was almost ten meters long and had to weigh many tons. Sadly for the bear, its large size became a detriment to it. Brown Hider Sign, Level 131 The beast was being pelted with literal shit by the degrade monkeys and was slowed down from its forcibly increased weight. Its hide grew harder as it tried to shield itself but all it did was limit its own mobility further as it got covered in feces. It tried roaring, sending a wave of force out, but the monkeys hid away up in the trees and just jeered and laughed at it. Jake didn't like their way of fighting, but he still chose not to interfere. He didn't like interfering in the fights of others even more, and besides, the dervish looked like it was about to make its move. After leaping from its tree, it instantly accelerated many-fold and plummeted to the nearly 150 meters separating it from the bear. During its descent, it spun itself around, leaving its tails rotating at a tremendous speed by the time it landed right in front of the bear. The three tails tore into the bear, acting like three whip-like blades that sent blood flying everywhere and made the bear roar in pain and anger. The suppressed beast instantly began burning with energy as it entered some kind of enraged state, and for a brief moment it managed to shrug off the weight-increasing effect and move. It attacked the dervish before it, and when Jake saw its paw land, he thought the monkey would be done for. But instead it was just sent flying. Like if the bear had punched a feather, the dervish harmlessly flew away and landed on the ground. It had a few bloody marks left by the claws but the impact itself seemed to have barely affected it. It decided to counterattack immediately. It rushed towards the bear with frightening speed and, using a weird spinning technique, quickly cut into the far larger beast. Definitely an agility-focused beast, Jake thought, as he saw the bear slowly get finished off. The dervish inflicted many wounds in quick succession, but it wasn't exactly a fast killer. In the end, Two crushers joined in when the bear became too weak to put up any resistance at all, quickly finishing the fight. Just as the monkey stood triumphantly and cheered, something descended from above. Boom! An arcane arrow fell from atop one of the tallest trees, right through the skull of the one suppressor that had been the primary force to immobilize the bear. It didn't even have time to react before its life was ended, and with its demise, panic quickly spread among the monkeys. A second arrow arrived a few moments later. It hit one of the regular grates right in its noggin, blowing its head off and ending yet another life. The remnant energy of the arcane power shot became evident, as the air itself seemed to vibrate. Sadly for Jake, that was the last easy kill. All the monkeys had now managed to take cover, and he didn't have time to charge another power shot for a one-shot. He had previously wanted to fly above the forest to more easily bombard them from above, but found that the crowns of the trees made it impossible. It wasn't just a question of his sight being physically obstructed, either, as clearly the crowns formed some kind of barrier sealing off the forest. Like a giant naturally formed array or magic circle, the entire forest protected itself from attacks from above, which in retrospect probably made a lot of sense with powerful flying beasts everywhere, or, you know, winged humans with bows. The trees themselves were also damn tough, especially the largest ones. Jake couldn't even destroy them if he wanted to. It was like being back in the tutorial during the first days, where just penetrating the bark with a dagger had been a damn struggle. It likely had something to do with the mana intensity being different here. Everything was just tougher, and the degrades were aplenty. Just how he wanted it. With his wings out, He flew around the trunks of the trees and loosed arrow after arrow towards the monkeys below, every single one of them exploding whenever they hit an enemy or a tree. A few monkeys were even taken by surprise when the exploding arrow suddenly duplicated, and instead of one nearly lethal explosion, it became three very much lethal explosions. To Jake, the regular D-grade monkeys just weren't worth much. They were too slow and too weak to pose any real threat, and the entire light-tail species hadn't shown itself to be very robust yet. They were a race that focused on not getting hit to begin with, while Jake was quite good at hitting stuff. He had to deal with a total of eleven normal tri-light-tail monkeys, one crusher and one dervish, after already killing one crusher and a few of the normal ones, that is. Jake had already decided to save the dervish for last, if it allowed him to. A single figure stood on the ground below, 500 meters down, Bending its legs, it jumped. (laughs) What? Jake Bailey managed to think before he had to do a flap of his wings to dodge two blade-like tails. The dervish tore through the air, and just as it hit the top of the forest, it turned and landed on only a few leaves of the long branches, as if it was solid ground. With another mighty jump, it once more flew like a meteor towards Jake, but this time the hunter was ready jake looked up at it and used gaze of the apex predator as the scimitar of cursed hunger appeared in his hand it froze up just as jake swung the blade and smashed it into the side of the beast he felt his blade cut a bit into his target but after barely managing to leave a wound he felt all resistance disappear as if he was striking something without any mass or in this case weight the dervish was sent flying away And just as Jake was about to take out his bow, he saw it purposefully bounce off a tree and behind another, clearly fearing the arrows that had killed several of its brethren earlier. You don't like magical attacks, eh? Jake thought, understanding their weakness. Blunt force, or even cuts, did little to the dervish. But an exploding arcane arrow was a whole other story. Well, not like the other monkeys fared that much better. Very few things weren't susceptible to being blown up. With his target lost, Jake switched to killing off the regular D-grade light tails below, patiently waiting for the dervish to make its next move. He could feel its attention on him as it looked for a chance to strike. To make it a bit harder for the quick monkey, Jake made sure to fly around the different trees to never give it a straight line of attack while he whittled down the monkeys that were quickly rushing up towards him. He had to dodge quite a few blasts of force and shrug off several waves of weight-increasing mana but he managed to get quite a few kills in return. However, the monkeys soon managed to climb up the trees and reach him, and he had to contend with several of them leaping between the trees and trying to hit him. A single one was easy enough, but when five came at once, shit got difficult. Luckily, he had a few tricks up his sleeve to handle it. The wings on his back began glowing a dark green color as they emanated a dark, toxic gas. Jake had mixed a bit of dark affinity mana into the poison and soon large parts of the treetops were covered in a layer of dark smoke. This made it significantly harder for the monkeys to strike back, while Jake barely noticed the dark cloud. He had learned quite a while ago that his perception alone made him able to peer through many magical obstructions of sight. And even if it didn't, he was accustomed to dark mana anyway. Moreover, when the monkeys passed through the cloud, they were ever so slowly infected by the poison. The poison didn't actually do much damage, and even the effects of the dark affinity weren't noticeable to them. No, the real value lay in Jake being able to detect them far more easily. Sense of the malefic viper allowed him to effortlessly detect poison he had inflicted, and the poison fumes from his wings naturally counted. It was technically just his burned blood, after all. Jake used everything in his arsenal as he slaughtered the entire group of D-grades, He launched bolts of arcane mana, exploding arrows, and the occasional power shot, which tore up entire sections of the forest he was in. None of them posed any threat, besides the dervish. Well, the crusher would hurt like hell if it managed to strike him, but Jake was never in any real danger of that happening. It was slower than even the regular monkeys, and didn't have much chance of pinning him down. They kept trying to ground him by sending their weight-increasing waves of mana, but Jake countered that by constantly releasing disruptive waves of mana around himself. Was this damn graining on his mana pool? Yes, it sure was, but Jake was a bit of a cheat when it came to that. A single mana potion restored more than 10,000 mana, with a bonus from Pallet included, allowing his entire mana pool to effectively be above 40,000, His mask increasing his mana recovery to a large amount also sure helped. Although Jake countered the beasts quite hard and they were all weak for degrades, it still took a while to put them all down. Degrades were still degrades, and unless he landed a lethal blow with arcane power shot, it took a fair amount of damage to put down for good. The Crusher was the second to last to fall. In its final moments, the Crusher managed to make Jake dodge in a direction he would prefer not to, and it put him right in the crosshairs of the dervish. Swoosh! A figure zoomed by him, and Jake failed to fully dodge the blow. The two tails seemed to extend just as they were about to hit him, leaving him a nasty cut on his stomach and chest when the beast passed by. He barely had time to stabilize himself in the air before it struck again, this time finding itself countered like the first time it had tried this tactic. Jake looked over at it and made it freeze with gaze of the apex hunter, Yet the beast had learned a little. It was already spinning at high speed, effectively making itself a saw blade soaring through the air towards him. The hunter dodged to the side and extended both his hands out beside him, a net of mana strings woven between them. The spinning tails cut through many of them, but a few remained as the monkey was stopped mid-air. With a slight smile, Jake infused a bit more arcane mana into the strings. The stability broke and turned to destruction. BOOM! The entire net exploded, searing the dervish as it screamed in pain. Jake himself wasn't unscathed, as he was also hit by the large explosion, but the scales covering his body took most of the blow. Besides, it was his own arcane mana, and he had plenty of experience being hurt by that already. Without any momentum, and hurt pretty badly, the dervish was forced to accelerate toward the ground to try and get away jake quickly followed by flying a few meters to the side and into a tree standing horizontally he took a step and traveled down the length of the tree appearing on the ground just below where the monkey would land as it accelerated down towards him he didn't have time to fire an arrow but he did have time to take out his sword and meet the descending beast it had clearly managed to notice him too as it spun itself around and attacked with his scimitar he blocked the spinning blade-like tails finding himself forced back a bit. Taking another step back, he exchanged several blows with the tails. The monkey hissed and Jake felt the weight of each blade rapidly increase. At the same time, he felt his own blade become heavier with every block. Jake took a step forward and once more used gaze of the apex hunter, a few droplets of blood flowing from his eyes from overusing the skill within a short amount of time. However, it was fine. He was about to finish the fight. He moved in between two spinning tails, the monkey unable to move them as it stood frozen for a moment longer. With both hands on his blade, he raised it high and stabbed down towards the skull of the monkey, swirling dark mana around the edge. Descending Dark Fang Not unlike a giant spike of dark mana, his blade penetrated its skull and came out the other side at the base of the dervish's neck. The still-spinning blades managed to land a few more cuts on him and scratch his scales a bit in an instinctive reaction, but the monkey was unable to do anything more as its life ended. You have slain Twilight Tail Dervish, level 123. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. Jake pulled out the blade and stumbled back, sitting down on the ground as he breathed out heavily with a smile on his face. "'Individually, these monkeys weren't that hard to deal with, "'but damn, were there a lot of them!' "'Still smiling, he checked his notifications. "'Ding! Class Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached level 102. "'Stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. "'Ding! Race Human, D, has reached level 102. "'Stat points allocated, plus 15 free points. "'Another level. D-grade was quite a bit slower,' but Jake knew he was doing exactly what he was meant to. He was hunting higher-leveled enemies, using mark of the ambitious hunter on every enemy, and even killing foes more than twenty levels above himself. Standing up once more, he did a few stretches before leaping up one of the trees and beginning his journey further into the domain of the Light Tails. With so many of them, something good was bound to be in the innermost area. Chapter 4 Worthy Opponents Jake opened his hand as he let the body fall, the dark green glow of touch of the malefic viper fading. The body that fell was that of a monkey with a black handprint on its neck, and its body already half-rotten. When it hit the ground, it squashed together as its insides were already decayed and turned to mush. You have slain Light Tail Dervish, level 128. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level." Its killer took out a healing potion and drank it. The dozens of deep cuts on his body rapidly began closing, leaving only a few of the worst ones, such as where a tail had penetrated his chest. Those would take a bit longer. The entire section of the forest he was in was utterly wrecked. The trees had deep cuts in them, the ground was littered with craters, and everything had a horrible smell of death and decay as he hadn't held back on using his poisons at all. The bark of many trees was black from the poison mist, or arrows coated in poison hitting them. Ding! Class, avaricious arcane hunter has reached level 103, stat points allocated, plus ten free points. He flew over to a branch, where he sat down and entered meditation. This was the third fight since he met the first dervish, and by far the hardest. The first fight had only been a small group of normal degrades with a single suppressor, so those were pretty easily put down. The second fight had been a bit tougher, and a lot like the first group with the dervish, but with his increased experience fighting the monkeys, it had ended a bit faster. As for the third and final fight he had just finished, there had been two dozen enemies with three dervishes. It had been quite the battle, as the dervishes honestly weren't easy opponents at all. They were incredibly fast, No doubt agility-focused, and, combined with their weight-increasing magic, their whip-blade tails felt like heavy-as-fuck razors barraging you constantly. Jake was fully aware that if he screwed up, he could lose his life to them, which was why he found them entertaining to battle. He also made a decision, one that might be viewed as controversial by many, but Jake felt like it was necessary. As he made the command through the system, it hurt him down to the core of his soul, but he had to. He needed the speed to keep up with his foes, and he could feel his body unable to move as fast as he wanted, so he had done it. Jake had used free points on something that wasn't perception. The 105 free points he had saved up since entering D grade were all put into agility, taking him from 1,595 to 1,748, after all the bonuses were applied. It was around a 10% increase, and he instantly felt the difference as he could now move even faster than before, and perhaps now he could begin reacting to even the dervishes above level 130. The one at 128 had been a bit too fast for him, and he'd had to freeze it, grab hold of it, and use touch of the malefic viper to win the fight, instead of just beating it with his blade. Fighting with his sword tended to be more fun, after all, so he preferred to do that. Checking the time, he found he still had plenty to get to the inner area, and he had a feeling he was close. Still, he had to spend a few hours getting himself back in top condition. Between his meditation and liberal potion use, Jake's recovery was far faster than most other degrades, allowing him to battle more than normal. Once he was done sitting around meditating and chugging down potions, he moved on with his day of slaughtering monkeys. He tried to avoid unnecessary fights and encounters with small squads, as those battles weren't exactly entertaining. Just as he made his way around a tree, He spotted a small group of D-grades heading his way from around 300 meters ahead of him. Not feeling like battling four regular D-grade light tail monkeys, he focused on staying hidden. He even used his cloak to camouflage himself a bit better. It wasn't something he aimed for or even expected, but that small action gave him a notification. Advanced Stealth, Common. The deadliest blow is the one not seen coming, a proven artisan in the arts of stealth You have learned to stay undetected far better than a mere novice. You now find it even easier to blend into the environment, waiting for just the right moment to strike. Adds a minor bonus to the effect of agility and perception while successfully remaining undetected. Upgrades 2. Expert Stealth. Uncommon. The deadliest blow is the one not seen coming. You have proven yourself an expert in the arts of stealth, as you have learned to become a shadow that is only seen when you wish to be so. You find it easier than ever to blend into the environment, making your presence, mana, and nearly all traces of your existence hidden as you wait for your prey to be vulnerable. Adds a small bonus to the effect of agility and perception while successfully remaining undetected. Jake read it over and couldn't help but just shrug. Staying hidden was never anything he really thought much about. It was just one of those things you did. The skill itself was a type that just existed and didn't require any more thoughts than that. Not that he complained about getting it upgraded, as he knew it would make the hiding he already did just a little bit more effective. Anyway, with a random skill upgrade out of the way, he continued his quest into the heart of the Monkey Lands. He estimated the entire domain controlled by the monkeys to be several hundred kilometers in diameter, making it a small country based on Old World standards. Still, Jake knew that compared to some other beasts, it really wasn't that impressive. The scale of everything in the multiverse was just bigger. It made sense, though, as an area did feel a lot smaller when you could fly faster than a fighter jet or practically teleport with every footstep. Populations growing to ridiculous levels and cities becoming absolutely massive were also just kind of natural. Heck, trees could now naturally grow to be kilometers tall and buildings could easily be constructed to be even taller. The logistical issues with large cities were primarily eliminated by magic, the population's lower requirements for sustenance, and their natural ability to survive better independently due to stats and evolutions. E-grade required way less food than a normal pre-system human, after all. And so far in D-grade, Jake had yet to feel any hunger. Well, except a hunger for good challenges, but that was a bit of a different thing. Back in the real world, outside of Jake's never-ending random thoughts about things getting bigger, he had just made his way around a massive tree. It was one of the true behemoths in the area, and while he did consider flying to the top for fun, what he saw as he got to the other side of it dissuaded him. Before Jake lay what could only be described as a small, ancient temple with a few stone buildings placed around it. The temple itself looked like one of those old, boxy Aztec pyramids, except without that entrance on the top. There was a small entrance at the bottom, though. If that was the only thing worth noting, He would only be mildly interested, but what was living among those ancient-looking buildings made him quite excited. Hundreds of monkeys jumped around, a lot of them D-grade, but there were even more E-grades running about. He saw dozens of dervishes, crushers, and suppressors, but what was even more noteworthy were four huge monkeys, each sitting on top of their own small, ancient building. Try Light-Tail Monkey Matriarch, level 142. Light Tail Monkey Matriarch, level 147. Light Tail Monkey Matriarch, level 146. Light Tail Monkey Matriarch, level 146. The matriarchs looked a bit like their brethren, but were twice the size of an average monkey, with quite a bit of bulk and fat on their bodies. They looked like they could put up a decent fight, but it wasn't their primary role. Many small monkeys with levels as low as 25 crawled all over their bodies, making Jake believe this was their primary breeding ground. Just as Jake was trying to get a good count of how many baby monkeys there were, he felt something look his way. He barely managed to see a figure exit the ancient temple in the middle before he instinctively hid behind the tree he was on and focused on his newly upgraded stealth. A few moments passed before he felt it was safe. He peeked out and saw what had just nearly spotted him from so far away. It was another monkey, but it was rather different from the others. Like the dervishes, it was tall and slender, but it was bulkier than those. What truly set it apart was its pristine golden fur, the glowing silvery symbol on its forehead, and the five tails extending out behind it. Jake didn't doubt for a second that this beast was the most powerful in the entire settlement and could in no way be considered weak. He used identify on it as he hid, and the level didn't actually surprise him. To light Tail Monkey Prima, level 131. It was lower than all the matriarchs and even many of the dervishes, but Jake knew level wasn't everything. Shit, he just had to look at himself and the pile of dead monkeys in his wake, all of whom had been higher in level than himself. A smile crept onto his lips as he, for the first time, spotted prey he found worth hunting after reaching D-grade. Miyamoto was in his courtyard with his eyes closed, slowly swinging the blade through the air. As if dancing, he moved fluidly through the motions in a patient manner, his blade appearing to almost shimmer with every stroke, as if it was made of water. Every movement was calculated, every step predetermined, and every fiber of his being and soul invested as he trained. To Miyamoto, there was no world outside of him and his sword at that moment but all things have to come to an end. He stopped, opened his eyes, and softly looked down at his sword. The old heirloom that had been proudly displayed by their family for generations was no longer just a normal weapon. Oh no, far from it. One of the tutorial rewards he had spent his points on was making this old family blade awaken, allowing the spirits of his ancestors and their will to come to life and for the blade to become a true artifact. His request had been met, and the blade had been bound to his soul as it became his life companion. Miyamoto was level 99 in his class and 95 in his profession. While it did hurt his pride a bit to not be the first degrade as the patriarch of his clan, he would be the first to achieve the perfect evolution. If he had chosen to become a city lord, perhaps things would be different, but he knew he did not desire to be a leader of the people any more. He was past that age, and he had passed the baton to the younger generation. No, he would focus on the blade and his passions, as he helped protect his family, as any good patriarch would do. By following his own desires, he had spearheaded the expansion of the clan. He had fought and claimed the first pylon, losing many family members in the process. But for the second pylon, he had taken care of the foe by his lonesome. He hadn't even needed to be present for the third pylon, as his grandson and great-granddaughter had handled that just a week prior. As an old soul, he had little to complain about. He spent most of his time focusing on improving himself to be a pillar of strength for the clan. He had just gone through a session of sword meditation, a skill he valued quite highly. Supreme Sword Meditation, Ancient The sword is you, and you are your sword. While in meditation, regenerate stamina and mana significantly faster, more easily find inspiration, and experience enlightenment in relation to all sword-related skills allow you to earn far more experience points while using Supreme Sword Meditation. While in Supreme Sword Meditation, you must perform a compatible sword dance flawlessly. Any mistakes will lead to forcefully exiting meditation and being unable to re-enter it again for a short period of time. May you find your truth through your blade. It was a great skill, and he had gotten it to its current rarity shortly after returning to Earth. It had only been epic rarity upon his exit of the tutorial. He had gotten it to rare rarity the day he reached level 25 and earned the meditation skill. Taking a deep breath, the old man extended his sword and began drawing in the air, painting with his sword. It was an ephemeral painting of water that would disperse the moment he stopped the skill, a mere snapshot of reality that only he would ever lay eyes on. Finesse had many forms, be it swordmanship or painting. Ultimately, both were about control, conviction, and the ability to execute techniques accurately. All these things had only become more true when the system arrived. Miyamoto had seen many others of the older generations, people still his juniors, fail to adapt to this ever-changing world. They relied on the ways of old, or their mindsets were simply not adaptive enough. It was difficult for him to understand. Life was but a series of shifting seasons. Every new season would bring about change as the world developed, not one day the same as the last. Throughout his life, he had seen so much change, so many shifts in society. If he had been unable to adapt, how could he ever have hoped to achieve success? If he could not embrace new technology and even be willing to try and get ahead and prepare for the coming winter as fall arrived, how could he ever hope to excel? To him, the arrival of the system was just yet another changing season. As he'd lain there in his bed, He believed that it was his winter and that that season would be his last. Yet spring had arrived and brought about new life and new opportunities. And as nature cheered and blossomed to welcome the sun and the end of winter, so would he blossom and grow to make his clan experience the most fruitful summer imaginable. The World Congress would be the first step in achieving that. The first time where he would finally meet the other leaders and patriarchs of the planet— including he who had claimed the first pylon. Chapter 5. Rules of Monkey Hunting There were a few rules one had to remember when invading an ancient temple and the surrounding area run by supernatural many-tailed monkeys that can use weird weight magic. Forgetting these rules could lead to being covered in unnaturally heavy feces, or just being smashed or cut up by a monkey tail. The first rule was to stay high and avoid the ground. Being able to move in three dimensions against enemies unable to fly was an incredible advantage and made it far easier to deal with issues arising from breaking the second rule. Light-tailed monkeys weren't the strongest individually, but fighting a crowd of them was what, in the hunting industry, was called a very bad time. They buffed each other up while slowing you down, allowing their strikers, in the form of crushers or dervishes, to finish you off. So the second rule was to always only engage small groups at a time, and if possible, isolated prey. The third rule was to always make sure the prima wasn't around, because the prima was clearly the big boss. One should always save the big boss for last. This is just basic hunting protocol and best practice. Always remember, kill from weakest to strongest. It's a bit like how you don't eat your dessert before the main dish, no matter how tasty it looks. He would have to make do with all the beast cores he collected from their corpses after the fight so far. Then there was the fourth rule, one quite unique to Jake. It was a rule that invalidated the prior three if followed adequately every time, even if it often was a bit difficult to follow. The rule was actually quite straightforward. Always kill with a single shot. A rule Jake was doing incredibly well not breaking at the moment. An arrow tore through the terrain narrowly passing in between trees in its flight. Its target was just relaxing on a branch, keeping an eye out for any potential invaders to swiftly strike down. It was a dervish, a creature that rarely found worthy challenges this far into their domain. It was too relaxed, too unaware, though it was doubtful if its preparedness would have made a difference. It noticed the arrow too late and tried to move, Tried, because it suddenly felt like it had been thrown into an icy pit with a predator, nay, hunter, staring down at it, penetrating into its soul. The nearly one-meter-long arrow arrived and penetrated deep into the creature without any issues, releasing intense amounts of destructive energy. If that wasn't enough, the arrow was even coated with incredibly potent poison and fired with the ridiculously powerful arcane power shot. To strike down a beast nearly 30 levels above yourself in a single strike was a rarity, especially in D-grade, where every level mattered even more. But coupled with the low resilience of the agility-focused Dervish and the power of the attack, it was made possible. You have slain tri Light tailed Dervish, level 131, bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level, The arrow he had used was naturally his arrow of the ambitious hunter, and it had been quite easily summoned the moment he tried. He had hoped the summoning time would reduce after reaching D grade, but it had stayed the same, which couldn't be said about the power. Without noticing, the already overpowered arrow had gotten better. A large element of the arrow was the destructive energy it contained, and through Jake's arcane affinity he had come to understand that type of energy quite a bit better. While it wasn't exactly the same type of concept, it was close enough that the arrow simply accepted it when he poured in a bit of arcane mana. Not too much, or it would destabilize the arrow, but just a little. A far cry from ever being enough to upgrade the skill, but more than enough to make it just a little better. With the dervish dead, it led Jake to consider the fifth and final rule of hunting light-tailed monkeys, one very important to remember in conjunction with rules four and two. This rule was that After making a kill, you should fucking run, because the tribe would be coming. Jake swiftly flew away, making sure to hide behind trees and stay high as he could hear the screeching monkeys off in the distance. His way of killing wasn't the most subtle, since arcane power shot was quite flashy by nature, so he had to quickly get away. There was even a faint trail of mana in the air beginning where he had fired from, and some of the more acute monkeys detected and followed that trail. By the time they arrived, Jake was already long gone. He watched them as they kept searching. The monkeys naturally split up to look for the intruder that had killed one of their brethren, perhaps too dumb or too confident to believe they wouldn't meet the same fate. Either way, that belief was clearly not well founded. Less than ten minutes after the first dervish died, a crusher found an arrow of the ambitious hunter striking it from behind, killing it instantly. Another kill kicked up another uproar, as even more monkeys joined the search, yet it was all for naught, as Jake was already way ahead of them. He flew high among the crowns of the trees, constantly hidden behind thick branches and relying on his cloak's extra camouflage. The only times he went down the trunks of the trees were to fire a power shot using the arrow of the ambitious hunter. Before going up the tree, he would place a mark of the ambitious hunter on his next chosen target, and use that to summon the arrow, much like he'd done with the indigo mushroom. Jake had to be honest. While this method wasn't that fast, it was relatively safe. The Prima spent nearly all its time in the temple itself and didn't appear to care at all what was going on around it, while the matriarchs spent most of their time trying to hold back the weak monkeys in their care from joining the search. At times, the monkeys got quite close to Jake, but he had a few more tricks up his sleeve to stay hidden. Nearly three kilometers from where he was, the top of one of the smaller trees exploded with arcane mana, and the monkey that had come to investigate the source of mana it detected was sent flying. Not long after, another explosion shook the ground even further away, drawing more attention. Finally, a third explosion occurred right in the middle of a group of D-grade monkeys, but this one was far larger than the ones prior. The reason for this was simple. The ones before had been created by conjuring arcane bolts and stabbing them into trees, knowing they would explode within a few minutes with their unstable mana, while the last explosion was caused by three exploding arcane hunters' arrows, fired with a splitting arrow. The monkeys were injured, but not dead, though that was just a temporary issue for Jate. An issue that was further alleviated as arrows rained down on them from a tree far away, the degrade monkeys' bodies occasionally freezing when they tried to dodge, But still got pierced. All four of them died within less than a dozen seconds, far from long enough for the more powerful monkeys to trace the human firing the shots. This entire dynamic of Dake striking like a shadow from atop the trees continued for over a day. It consumed a potion every single hour, nearly on the second, to keep his resources stable. Dake quickly found that the ester regeneration from his mask was even more effective than back in his city, boosting his combat endurance to a ridiculous level. It was after this full day of killing that one of the big pillars of the monkey community made a move. The four matriarchs always had at least a dozen dervishes, crushers, and suppressors around them to ensure their safety, making Jake choose to ignore them for now. Besides, for every hour that passed, he got stronger, both by being more familiar with his strength and making even more rapid progress with his archery and mana control, but also just in pure tangible levels. His notification menu was easy proof of that. Ding! Class Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached level 104. Stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. Ding! Race Human D has reached level 103. Stat points allocated, plus 15 free points. Ding! Class Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached level 105. Stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. After reaching level 105 in his class and putting all the free points he had gained into agility, the stat became his second highest, naturally still far behind perception. Jake felt like it was worth it, for now. He had also begun noticing some other peculiarities of the entire area. The temple and everything around it felt old, ancient. It wasn't just that it was likely architecture taken from old earth, either. It was something about the manna in the air the entire aura of the place just felt off. But back to the whole matriarch-on-the-move thing. Yeah, one of those massive monkeys had chosen to personally try and hunt down whatever was killing all its children. Jake at least assumed that was the case, as for some reason it looked even more pissed than any of the other beasts, as though it had been holding itself back for far too long. Followed by its entourage of guards, It made its way into the forest, away from the safety of the main temple and the one foe Jake was truly wary of. Jake did a careful count and saw seven dervishes, four crushers, and three suppressors with it at all times. This was too many enemies for Jake to handle at once, so he would have to do a bit of picking off before engaging the matriarch herself. He was actually thankful that she had left the small monkeys behind at the temple area, as Jake really didn't feel like killing them, He would have been able to just swiftly remove them with gaze of the apex hunter, but that would just feel wrong. Jake began carefully preparing himself as the matriarch moved further and further away from the temple, moving slower than even the bulky crushers. His preparations consisted of preparing his arrows after overcoming an issue that had proven itself to not really be an issue at all. Jake had summoned all his arcane hunter's arrows while drawing his bow before, which made poisoning them quite tricky for obvious reasons. He had considered how to fix this, since he'd previously been able to just prepare the arrows and put them back in his quiver, which made him wonder why he couldn't just keep doing that. While it didn't work with his explosive arrows, they would explode within a few minutes of summoning no matter what, his stable arrows could stay summoned for a while with no problem. So all he had to do was just not conjure any arrows in his old uncommon rarity quiver, instead filling it with his pre-poisoned arcane arrows. Chet even found that the quiver helped them not leak as much mana as before, allowing him to stay summoned even longer if he stored them in it. There was the one issue of not being able to keep them in his spatial storage like his old arrows, but that was honestly such a minor thing. The upgrade to Malefic Viper's poison had even made it so his poisoned arrows would now stay nice and toxic even longer than before. When the skill was rare rarity, Its coating had only stayed effective for around half an hour. Now, it would last over an hour. This resulted in Jake carrying a quiver with around 50 stable arcane arrows coated with his best necrotic poison. His blood was nearly as good, but not quite, so he went with the best he had for maximum killing efficiency. The reason for all this preparation was that he knew he couldn't pick off all the monkeys around the matriarch one by one, but he would make it into a long fight to his advantage. He had confidence in his own endurance, and even more confidence in his ability to slowly poison his foes and bring them down in a prolonged battle. Of course, as always, the first shot would be an arrow of the ambitious hunter, also nicely coated in his poison. His goal for that arrow was the matriarch herself, not to kill her, but because he had noticed how defensive the monkeys were of her. So if he could heavily injure her, he was 100% sure some of them would stay behind and not chase him, Maybe they would even try and jump in to block blows meant for her later on. Either way, he thought it was a sound strategy. With the arrow summoned and everything ready, he did something he hadn't felt a need to do so far in D-grade. Energy began building up deep inside as the flow of internal energy sped up, and his body began overflowing with strength. At the same time, all effects of his hiding were gone as he practically projected his presence far and wide around him. Limit Break was only active at the safe and not-so-tiring 10%, but it was a massive boost nevertheless. With Limit Break active, the monkeys noticed him, but he was still not within their line of sight. He had calculated his timing enough to avoid that. Jake raised his bow as Arcane Power Shot began charging, and he released the string only when he felt the bow about to reach the limits of its durability. The arrow tore through the terrain towards the group of monkeys, now many kilometers from their home temple. When it was about to arrive, Jake strained himself to freeze not only the matriarch, but also four of the seven dervishes as they tried to block the attack with their bodies. Jake knew Arrow of the ambitious hunter would only work on the matriarch as she was a target, so hitting her was essential to his plan. His eyes hurt as he found the matriarch especially hard to freeze, and when she became able to move again, she was far faster than any of the dervishes. Sadly, she was too slow, and still ended up being hit in the belly with the arrow. She screamed in pain as it tore into her, leaving an extensive, gaping, poisoned wound. From there, the real fight began. Jake instantly drew the string again and used arcane power shot with one of the poisoned arrows from his quiver. He didn't do much charging, instead just firing and using gaze on a dervish. His arrow struck it in the chest sending it flying and poisoning it. He repeated this, blood already running down his cheeks from overusing gaze, but it was necessary. Once all seven dervishes were hit, he ran. His wings spread open behind him, a cloud of poison spreading in his wake. The occasional poisoned arrow or explosive arcane arrow pelted those that chased him. A blade struck from behind a tree as they thought they had caught up to him. A hand grasped the neck, teleporting next to one sitting tired on a branch. To the monkeys, this entire area was still their domain, their home, where they stood at the apex, and the human that had come was just another invader to slay. But this foolish assumption would prove fatal, because what had come was not just another invader, but a hunter, and unbeknownst to them, they were nothing more than prey. Chapter 6 Matriarchs a massive crash echoed through the forest as a train nearly three hundred meters tall toppled over. The wooden behemoth that would ordinarily be borderline impossible to take down looked old and worn, its bark peppered with many black rotten spots throughout, especially in the section that had been broken as a massive tail smashed into it. Dust and soil flew up everywhere before being cleared by an explosion caused by a blast of force and an arcane arrow colliding blood settled on the ground in many places, mixed in with non-toxic blood and flesh left by over a dozen dead monkeys scattered everywhere. Jake rolled and kicked up a bit of this blood-covered ground as he dodged the flyby of a sluggish-looking dervish. As it flew past, the long cuts on both his arms spewed out blood drops that hit it while it was also diving through the ever-present poisonous mist from his wings. He smirked as he saw it collide with a tree nearby its senses severely weakened due to its many injuries and constant exposure to his toxins. Nearly three hours ago, Jake had first engaged the matriarch. One slightly annoying thing he had noticed was that the damn matriarch was actually more of a mix between a crusher and a healer than just a pure support beast. It had managed to heal its own wounds and even counteract some of the poison he had spread, making the fight even more prolonged than he would have hoped. To his advantage, though, He did discover that the matriarch had quite the lacking mana pool. Or maybe it was just because it had used all its magic too liberally, not hesitating to try and cure the poison Jake inflicted on its children, even healing many of their wounds. This had led to Jake shifting to a hemotoxin-based fighting style, poisoning and bleeding them out while always staying a step ahead. Because he was a well-rounded fighter with high stats across the board, he could constantly adapt. He was durable enough to tank a blow when necessary, his resource pools large enough that he would not run out of magic or physical strength, his vitality high enough so that he could keep his body healthy, and his offensive power powerful, be it through magic or physical blows. The suppressors needed to be swiftly struck down, as they had weak defenses, but could debilitate even Jake if he allowed them to stack up their weight-increasing magic for too long. Those were the ones he focused on first, killing them with potent poison and arcane power shots while preventing the Matriarch from saving them. Crushers were relatively tanky and dealt significant damage, but they were the slowest of the bunch, not counting the Matriarch herself. For the most part, he could ignore them and just slowly poison and bleed them out. With the suppressors gone, they simply had no way to ever catch him. At that point, they just became walking mana drainers for the Matriarch. Dervishes were overall the most annoying to handle. While they were indeed weak defensively, they were incredibly fast and hit insanely hard, making them ideal strikers. With seven of them on his tail, Jake was forced to fight them directly at times, as kiting them was simply out of the question. The only good thing was that they couldn't fly and were so fast that they could pretty much only attack in a straight line when they leaped for him. He had already gone over the matriarch, the one he was saving for absolutely last, She was incredibly tanky, could heal herself and others, hit even harder than the crushers, the fallen tree was evidence of that, and could even do a bit of supportive magic. The downside was that, holy damn, was she slow. Coupled with a few monkeys, always staying close to Defender made it far easier to kite them. If Jake was honest, the group of monkeys would be more dangerous if they just abandoned the matriarch and all went straight for him. Sadly for them, they hadn't done that, but allowed him to poison them all over several hours. The fight was now in its final stages, with only a single crusher, two dervishes, and the matriarch left standing, all incredibly injured. Jake himself wasn't all fine and dandy either, between his ripped clothes and the several long cuts all over his body, including one a few centimeters deep across his entire chest, the result of a dervish getting him real good. His health was already below half, and that was after drinking a health potion just ten minutes ago. He had also consumed two mana potions throughout the fight to keep up his constant bombardment of arcane arrows, poison mist, and even the occasional blood-covered arcane bolt for good measure. He smiled as he blocked a tail from a dervish with his venom fang while swinging the scimitar of cursed hunger with the other hand. He cut the one remaining crusher by extending the blade with an arcane edge, tearing open its stomach. As he did the damage, a flow of energy was absorbed from the beast and delivered into him restoring a bit of his health and healing some minor wounds on his body. The blade had proven very valuable in these kinds of prolonged battles. The crusher fell back from the blow, the matriarch trying to push out a bit more mana to heal it. At the same time, Jake took a step forward, then teleported back with one step mile, avoiding the blow of yet another dervish that came flying in. It was a desperate battle for the side of the monkeys, Jake had outlasted all of them, and none could put up even half of their total power by now. Their insides were more mush than flesh, and blood was flowing from all their orifices, yet none retreated. That was a tendency Jake had noticed many beasts had when heavily poisoned. They didn't flee, but instead just tried to kill him even more desperately. He had previously theorized it was because they believed the poison would stop if he died, and he was only getting more and more sure of that. It was actually a good indicator that these monkeys were incredibly dumb. If them deciding to chase a poison-spreading human for hours wasn't proof enough of that. The monkeys had also given up their last-ditch suicide tactic, where they amplified their auras. Jake had already found a way to break that, and just one step mile away, leading to a crusher and two dervishes effectively just killing themselves with their own auras. A bit funny, naturally, depending on how black your humor is. Dodging yet another whirling blow of tails from a dervish, Jake managed to cut off one of them before the monkey could reinforce it with energy. While it was distracted by the pain, he grabbed hold of it with his other hand and held it down on the ground. Touch of the malefic viper activated as the poison spread in the beast, and with a good squeeze, he heard a crack as the dervish's neck broke. Now the only two foes left were a heavily injured matriarch and one kind of already dead crusher. Jake didn't even need to cut the crusher directly anymore and finish it off merely using gaze of the apex hunter. Finally, only two living beings remained to stare each other down, one a heavily injured but spirited human and the other a tri-lighttail light monkey matriarch that looked utterly unable to decide what to do. Its indecision quickly turned to despair as it began screeching in anger, but instead of attacking, it sprinted back towards the old temple grounds. It didn't get far. An arcane power shot hit from behind, blowing off one of its legs. It began trying to crawl before Jake leaped from above and smashed his scimitar down through its skull, ending its life for good. You have slain a tri tail Monkey Matriarch, level 146. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. Ding! Class, Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached level 106. Stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. Ding! Race Human D has reached level 104. Stat points allocated, plus 15 free points. Ding! Class Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached level 107. Stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. Jake looked down on the Matriarch and the Hellscape he had left behind and couldn't help but chuckle a bit to himself. Note to self, do not have big battles inside or too close to Haven or we will require some serious landscaping afterward." He left the area in a very nice and dead state, relocating in case more monkeys came to investigate. Then he found a good tree and sat down to recuperate while doing a bit of alchemy. He wanted to create better hemotoxic poison now that he had reached a D grade and discovered how good it was against the matriarchs, as well as a single batch of health, mana, and stamina potions. And if all went well, he would be able to wipe out those shitty monkeys before it was World Congress time. In a rather large house in an even larger city, two women and a baby sat around a table, talking as the older one of them rocked the sleeping child back and forth. "'I still find it quite weird, if not a little unsettling,' the older woman said as she held the child. "'Babies aren't supposed to be this quiet and relaxed when this young.' Another woman sat to the side, observing the grandmother hold her grandson and smiled as she tried explaining what her husband had said. Caleb says it has something to do with no longer having the same needs, you know, no longer as hungry anymore. Many of the other ailments usually affecting kids also aren't really a worry either. Gosh, did I waste a lot of time reading books on parenting that are now irrelevant. I won't say they were wasted. I am sure a lot of what was in them is still very relevant for a new parent, Deborah said as she played with a grandson. How is Caleb doing these days? I feel like he is less and less home. He and Robert are busy preparing for the upcoming World Congress with all of the other administrators. With nearly all the influential forces brought together in one room, they want to be ready for any scenario and are making way more plants than they could ever need. Well, I guess it must be hard being both the leader of some assassination guild, fashioning themselves a court and a father at the same time, Deborah said clearly not approving of the entire situation. Caleb is doing the best he can, Maya said, shaking her head. Things are a lot more complicated now than before, and I also find it hard to adapt. I am just thankful that at least we are all safe and together, for the most part, at least. Caleb Fane, the current judge of the Court of Shadows placed on Earth, had not held back from using his authority to help his family at all. He understood that not being selfish, to some extent, was viewed more as a sign of weakness than strength. It was also just an advantage that the judge was not burdened by worries outside the court. He had used this influence to help gather not just his entire family, but even Maya's parents, who had lived not that far away before the integration. They had gotten a similar experience to Jake and Caleb's parents by suddenly having a squad of shadow-wielding assassins appear, explain the situation, and offered to escort them to the city claimed by the court. Jake and Caleb's parents had it worse. A notorious figure in their tutorial had one day appeared before them, all nice and sweet, saying he had been given the job to make sure they safely made it through the tutorial by some shadow god. Maya had been in a very different tutorial from any of the others. Hers had only consisted of children, pregnant women, and people who worked with children or in the medical profession before the system, Barely any fighting had been going on in hers, and she'd been escorted to the city after the tutorial by Caleb himself, who had split off with a few others to get her. He had talked about how that had apparently earned him even more respect from the second-in-command of the court, Matteo, as he now viewed Caleb as a man who valued family above all else. The former assassin turned magic assassin approved of that. Yeah, nearly everyone, Deborah said. As Caleb said more about Jake, How come he isn't having some of his men help him get here? It was clear she didn't understand why Caleb just kept insisting that Jake was fine and that there was no reason to go get him. Jake doesn't need our help from what Caleb said. He is doing just fine on his own. He even has his own thing going on with another settlement, Maya explained, trying not to give too many details. It would be easier just for Jake to explain himself, and honestly, even Maya found it hard to really understand. Caleb shared everything he knew with his wife, but that only made Maya understand how different this world really was. Her parents and her mother and father-in-law were all just regular people in this new world. They weren't standout performers, and their only outstanding quality was their relation to outstanding people in the eyes of the higher powers. That Jake was doing well wasn't that surprising to Maya, though. He had always been able to do well for himself when he put his mind to it. But she and Deborah did share one fear. Do you think he is being dragged into something he shouldn't? You know how he is, Deborah said, sighing. He always just goes with the flow and gets dragged into things, hangs around with crowds he really shouldn't. Wouldn't it be better if he just came here already? He hasn't even seen his nephew yet. Does he even know he has become an uncle? They'll be fine, a new voice said, as Caleb landed in the small garden outside of the house, obviously having heard what they said towards the end through the open window. Deborah looked out the window and at her son with no amusement. You keep saying that, but are you really sure he hasn't been influenced by some bad people? And also, how come you are back already? Where is Robert? Dad is busy trying to figure out how to design that new high-rise he is working on and told me to just go back by myself first, Caleb said. We don't really have much more planning to do, at least nothing I want to be involved in, so I'll have to head out for a bit more training before the Congress. He then finally addressed the first question that Deborah had asked. And while I can't really say anything about if Jake is being influenced by bad people, we will find out soon. I am 99% sure he will be part of the World Congress. Really, Deborah said, a bit more relieved. They all knew she wouldn't go to the World Congress itself, but at least Caleb should be able to check in with him. After that, they relaxed a bit together, Caleb playing with his son and giving his wife a kiss, before taking flight once more. He then headed outside the city to the closest suitable hunting ground. Because no matter what faction one was from, power was still the most important factor, which was also why Caleb and Maya weren't that concerned about Jake. Chapter 7 City Monkey Management Jake sat on the ground as he breathed in heavily, waiting for his left arm to regrow. His right eye was also still a bit blurry after being regenerated, as it turned out that taking a blast of force to the face resulted in quite a lot of it being funneled into the holes in the mask. He was lucky his head was tilted, so he'd only lost one of them. He was also, of course, half-naked from most of his armor being shredded or blown apart, a lot of the damage done by his own explosions of arcane mana. He had to be honest. He'd come close to biting off a bit more than he could chew towards the end. It was now only a bit over 22 hours away from the beginning of the World Congress, and Jake was still in the forest hunting monkeys. After the first matriarch, the second one to move had been the highest level one, but it had gone down quite easily. Mainly because Jake had the tactic down, and more and better hemotoxins than before. You have slain tri Light tail Monkey Matriarch, level 147, bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. Ding! Class Avaricious Orcane Hunter has reached level 108. Stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. Ding! Race Human, D, has reached level 105. Stat points allocated, plus 15 free points. He'd regenerated to full with that one down, and had then gone to pull another one of the matriarchs, hoping to finish it off quickly. Oh boy, that hadn't turned out as planned. Not at all. When he shot an arrow at the third matriarch, The fourth one had decided to join in, too, with all the young monkeys being ushered into the buildings surrounding the ancient temple. Jake had already found out they led to some small underground caves that were pretty much safety shelters. Jake had no interest in going after the young ones. He was no sand-hating youngling slayer after all. Besides, he didn't have a laser sword. Anyway, Jake had pulled the third matriarch, The fourth had decided to follow, and eventually this had resulted in the majority of D-grade monkeys in the entire temple area chasing him. The only lucky thing was that the Prima was still chilling within the center temple, not taking part. It appeared to honestly not give a shit what the rest of its tribe was doing, and all the other monkeys were just afraid of it, from what Jake could tell. All of this had resulted in Jake on the run from an entire fucking army of D-grade monkeys including two matriarchs, more than twenty dervishes, even more crushers, and a dozen or so suppressors. The number of normal D-grade tri tri-light-tail monkeys was above a hundred total. Very much not a good time. The first hour had been the hardest by far, with Jake trying to slow down and injure the horde as much as possible as he ran. He'd killed and ripped and poisoned with everything he had, with both his blades absolutely covered in blood towards the end. He did discover that the health-draining effect of his scimitar of cursed hunger was extremely valuable against the normal degrades. It meant he did not have to consume health potions as much as he could regenerate by beheading monkeys. With his sphere and sense of the malefic viper detecting all the poisoned monkeys, he managed to avoid getting surrounded and outnumbered too much, allowing him to always fight back or escape when things got a bit too spicy. In the end, the entire ordeal had still taken more than an entire goddamn day. An entire day of running, fighting, killing, and slowly whittling down his foes. A few more monkeys had even joined the hunt when they noticed what was going on, making Jake feel like he was facing a never-ending tide of simians. He'd had to choke down a potion every hour on the dot to keep himself at least a bit healthy, most of them stamina potions. He'd also had to use Limit Break at 10% nearly the entire time, but had towards the end activated it at 20% to finish off the final matriarch. Jake had discovered over the course of that goddamn marathon of a fight that he could indeed still get tired. Not because he lacked stamina or mana or anything like that. It was just pure mental exhaustion. His mind wanted to rest. He needed to just not think or do anything intense for a while. Not even sleep, necessarily. Just something without requiring focus. After reaching D-grade, You never had to sleep anymore. You barely had to at E-grade and required only a few hours a week, tops. Most of it just being done with meditating anyway. But as he had discovered, that didn't mean rest was unnecessary. Ultimately, this mental exhaustion hadn't had much effect aside from causing Jake to fight best tactically towards the end. He was lucky in the sense that he didn't have to truly focus when fighting. It was actually quite the opposite. The less he focused, the more he could just move instinctively. Of course, that wasn't always optimal and worked best in melee. It also wasn't perfect. Far from it. Hence Jake's lack of an arm, newly regenerated eye, and massive amount of wounds on his body. But it had helped him to never suffer any truly lethal blow, though he did have to trigger a moment of the primal hunter in the very end to finish off the last matriarch. So now Jake just sat there, completely exhausted, his health, stamina, and mana all below 20%, and the negative after effects of Limit Break taking their toll. Luckily, nothing was alive anywhere close to him, and the destroyed area, miasma of poison, and stench of decayed and still rotting corpses was sure to keep most anything away. He felt tired as fuck, but also very accomplished as he went through his wall of notifications, the first of which were the many monkeys, but most importantly, the two matriarchs. Though he did see that there were dervishes all the way to 140 also mixed in. You have slain Trilight Tail Monkey Matriarch, level 142. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. You have slain Try Light Tail Monkey Matriarch, level 146. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. And the best part? Levels. Ding! Class Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached level 109. Stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. Ding. Class Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached level 110, stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. Ding. Race Human D has reached level 106, stat points allocated, plus 15 free points. Ding. Class Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached level 111, stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. Ding. Class Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached level 112, stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. Ding! Race Human D has reached level 107, stat points allocated, plus 15 free points. Getting levels always just felt great. So, with deep satisfaction, he lay down on the bloody grass, ignored the toxic miasma all around him, and fell asleep. Usually she would be a bit annoyed or even question where he was, but quite honestly she had become immune to his whims and constant absence and just resolved to do things herself. It worked out fine that way anyhow, and in the moments when it truly mattered Jake would be there. There was no way he would miss the World Congress because he was too busy hunting, right? Yeah, definitely not. Definitely. Miranda had just woken up from another journey to the Verdant Lagoon, where she had ended up spending most of the time going through paperwork and dealing with stuff through the system menus, making use of the time distortion to get work done, creating new quests, taking stocks, and all that. The system even had interfaces for everything, and Lillian had recently unlocked a skill that allowed her to send and receive messages through the powers of the pylon. This meant she could send information to anyone connected to it, such as Miranda, Philip, Hank, or anyone else with an official position granted by Miranda, or someone she had given the authority to grant positions to. A position-giving position, if you will. This should also have worked for the owner, but Lillian had tried and found that it failed every time. It was like the scope couldn't find its destination. Miranda just chalked that up to him having some kind of skill to block it, or maybe he was just too strong. Both seemed like reasonable explanations. They'd had a meeting earlier that day, they being herself and most of the people with positions of leadership in the city, and agreed on a few things concerning the World Congress. One of the largest subjects of discussion was related to emigration. Through interaction with merchants and travelers from Sanct Domo, they had become aware that the other city was truly massive and that other far larger settlements also existed out there. Many of Haven's current citizens had family or friends elsewhere, and were only in Haven right now because it was the only settlement they had come across that offered at least a modicum of safety. Many guesses about what the World Congress was all about had been made, and the only real thing Miranda was certain of was that it would allow the different world leaders to interact. The quest had made that quite clear. Haven didn't intend to make themselves antagonistic to any forces, but she was damn sure that some other faction would try to cause strife, or perhaps even attempt to lay claim and annex the city. Their population appeared to be a weakness, which was why another choice they had made seemed to not make a lot of sense. Limiting immigration. Due to the city's geography, Avon would never become a metropolis unless they chose to abandon what made it special and ruin the entire atmosphere of the forest. Nobody wanted that, and Miranda was also fairly certain Jake would prefer not to have high-rises surrounding his valley. At the fort and the area surrounding the fort, a proper city could be constructed, then Miranda was even working on having the area influenced by the pylon extend to there. Once she reached d D-grade, that should be possible. No, they would keep Haven as an area more specialized and, as arrogant as it might seem, reserved for the elite and their immediate family. Nobody currently living there would be thrown out, but they would limit how many newcomers could become official citizens. Avon was placed in the outer parts of a beast-filled forest, and just a few hundred meters outside the area influenced by the pylon, one could run into beasts. If one delved further in, high-level E-grades were aplenty, with D-grades eventually peering. Miranda was pretty sure Jake was currently out fighting those. The owner had even mentioned a nearby D-grade dungeon. It was currently closed off, with warning signs still at the cave entrance and Miranda had even placed down a small alarm spell around the cave to make sure no one entered. Jake clearly wanted to be the first to do the dungeon, and there was no way Miranda would deny him that right. It was also just safer to have someone scout it out and get some general information for subsequent parties. She knew no one better than him to do it. There wasn't really any threat of others going to the dungeon currently, though. There were no deep raids in the city other than Jake and the birds. They just stayed in the valley most of the time, and while she knew beasts could enter and do dungeons, they apparently very rarely did. Besides them, no one was really even close to degrade. Miranda herself was now the second highest-leveled individual with a race level of 86, with Neil and his party all sitting between 75 and 85, with Neil being the one at 85. She was actually impressed by the continued zeal of the party to keep progressing, she did believe a part of it was due to what had happened at the fort, as the entire party appeared both ashamed and motivated after being utterly embarrassed by Jake and the Mistsong Hawk. Besides all those decisions, they had also discussed who should go to the World Congress. Based on what she could tell, only two additional people, aside from the city owner and city lord, could enter the Congress per pylon. The wording was a bit weird, making her wonder if perhaps both she and the owner could bring two people each but she was now certain that wasn't true. As for who they would bring, she wasn't sure yet. Maybe Philip would be smart, or perhaps Lillian, due to how loyal she was, and because she had already signed a system-enforced contract. Neil could also be a good idea, as he was making rapid progress with creating a functional teleportation circle. It would be good if he could meet other space mages to maybe create a teleportation network, something Miranda had learned was quite commonplace on most other civilized planets. Either way, it all came down to if Jake had any plans himself, assuming he would actually come. He'd said last time he would. Miranda felt a bit bad for doubting him. She knew she really shouldn't, since she was his inferior in every way, but a small part of her still held doubt. He still has half a day. Jake awoke with a great yawn as he sat up and scratched his head. Actually, his body was itching quite a bit all over. It was probably the coagulated blood. Yep, definitely the blood. Who knew blood could be itchy? Jake sure knew now. He got up and quickly took out a large barrel of water to clean himself up. He had a date with a monkey a bit later, so he would need to look presentable for that, wouldn't he? After cleaning himself up, he did a bit of light stretching to get all his sore and newly regenerated muscles up to speed. His entire body felt great, and his resources were maxed out once more. It was actually a bit funny— He found a bunch of empty potions on the ground, but he couldn't at all remember drinking those. Drinking in my sleep? Am I becoming a potion-holic? Checking the time, he still had more than twelve hours left until it was time for the World Congress. He had slept for a good ten hours, and he felt fresh as a cucumber. With everything ready, he began making his way back towards the temple. He noticed how he barely encountered any monkeys on the way, and those he did see were solitary, regular degrades, Or even E grades. Jake landed on top of a tree, then stared down at the temple grounds and saw how it was now entirely desolate. There was only a single living being atop the highest point of the ancient temple, waiting, almost baiting him. Antolight Tail Monkey Prima, level 134. Grown three levels since last time I checked, Jake noted. Perhaps it had seen its interference in whatever Jake was doing as unnecessary as it progressed its own strength at a rapid pace. All right, pal, let's see what you can do, he thought. As he focused on the monkey in the distance, an arrow of the ambitious hunter slowly being summoned. Chapter 8 Monkey Business The arrow emerged from his palm as he focused on the monkey in the distance. He had a feeling that it knew he was there, just not where exactly he was hiding. It was just sitting on top of its temple, inviting him to attack, something Jake would gladly do, and even begin with his most decisive blow possible. On a side note, Jake had tried to use Arrow of the Ambitious Hunter with his new splitting arrow, and it still didn't work. He couldn't split an arrow fired with arcane power shot either. Then again, it would be pretty silly if he could effectively triple the power of a powerful epic rarity skill with a rare skill. No... Copying the arcane hunter's arrows didn't really feel like he was copying an entire skill. With the arrow fully summoned, Dick carefully took aim at the monkey. He was far away, several kilometers, and its back was turned, yet he felt like he knew. He couldn't help but use identify to once more confirm it was indeed the Prima. Then Lighttail Monkey Prima, level 134. Yep, that's the one. His instincts also made it clear it was the real one, that it wasn't some mental magic trick or an illusion or anything like that. It genuinely was just sitting there waiting for him to strike. Was it stupid, overconfident, or did it have a plan in mind? Perhaps all three. Jake didn't know, but he was sure as hell about to find out. He didn't hesitate to activate Limit Break to 10% as he charged his arcane power shot. He released the string just as he felt the windsore bow no longer able to endure it any more, and with an explosion of arcane mana and stamina the giant arrow flew forth. Just before he let go of the string, the primus sitting atop the building turned around and looked his way. Jake instantly froze it, and just as he did, he noticed how he had frozen it mid-smile. Crash! The two upper floors of the ancient temple collapsed in an accelerated manner as if the entire building and Prima had suddenly gotten dozens of times heavier. That damned smile was still on the monkey's face when the arrow passed over its head and harmlessly struck a tree on the other side of the temple grounds. You little shit! Able to move again, the monkey didn't jump or do anything in particular. It just slowly stood up on top of the ruined upper parts of the temple and stared at Jate, who still stood far away on a tree branch. Their eyes met for a moment— and Jake felt the provocation and confidence in the gaze of the Prima, a sentiment he returned in kind. Neither of them felt like they could lose. Jake quickly drew a pre-poisoned arrow from his quiver and began charging another arcane power shot. In response, the monkey pointed one of its five tails in his direction, a move he had seen the other D-grades make many times before, but never at this range. The immediate surroundings of the tail distorted for a second, and Jake was forced to jump. A massive shockwave hit the tree below him as he fired his arrow while in midair. His power shot was intercepted by another wave of force, but clearly one attack was superior to the other. The wave of force was broken as a sonic boom sounded out midway through the arrow's flight, caused by a small explosion from the clash. The Prima was forced to dodge the powerful arcane shot with a frown and an angry screech, still being scratched even then. It responded by firing off blasts of force from its three tails, and Jake happily dodged all of them as he returned an arrow for every tree that had a large part of its bark blown off. It was a ranged battle with several kilometers between the fighters. Jake came out on top initially as the monkey took a few minor injuries. Unluckily, Jake hadn't managed to land much of his poison quite yet. It was still infected, though. This whole exchange clearly didn't sit well with the monkey, which had clearly had its pride hurt. It screeched angrily once more as its golden hair began standing up and it flew towards Jake, not jumping or floating or whatever, but truly flying. Weight and force magic combined, Jake thought, as the monkey soared towards him, even faster than Hawkey. It was a speed that would have stumped him before, but Jake had a trick up his sleeve, cold having thrown all his free points into agility. He reacted by summoning his wings of poison and death as he fired another arrow after the charging monkey. It didn't even attempt to dodge. The exploding arcane arrow split in three, and arcane energy appeared to consume the prima in a raging flood of destruction as they clashed. For a second, at least. Then the figure exited the explosion, not a scratch on it, but Jake saw the reason right away. It had a rippling sphere around it that appeared to have perfectly blocked the attack and kept the destructive energy out. A powerful barrier, but compared to the king, their levels were similar. Both were clearly not average beasts. Every single D-grade Jake met, he compared to the king. It just couldn't help it. Especially not after the mask on his head it started hinting at some ominous return. And when he compared any creature to the king, he just found them lacking. Perhaps it was due to a part of him having inherently overestimated the king, as he, for all intents and purposes, was the only foe Jake had fought that he felt he hadn't truly beaten. The prima is not to be underestimated, however. That barrier was strong, and its speed impressive. He managed to fire one more quickly charged power shot before it arrived, and he had a stable version of his arrows for that blow. The shot managed to pierce the barrier, but missed the monkey itself, as it was deflected slightly by the barrier. As he had no intentions of entering a melee brawl right away, Jake swiftly took a step to teleport down from the tree he was standing on. The monkey was clearly even better than him at flying, and if it could increase his weight like its brethren, then mid-air fighting wasn't advised. He could totally see himself being forced down and smashed into the forest below. The monkey didn't hesitate to follow, descending like a meteor straight towards him. It looked like it intended to just crush him outright with the sphere around it. Jake wasn't sure exactly how a direct clash with the monkey would go, and he really didn't see any reason to find out. Just before the monkey hit the ground, he took another step away, arcane bolts spinning to life and floating where he had just stepped away from. Boom! Once more, the forest shook as the ground exploded with even more arcane mana, followed by a quick arcane power shot straight towards where Mart of the ambitious hunter told him the monkey was. If a screech of pain didn't tell him he had hit, The new response from sense of the malefic viper sure did. Hematoxin successfully delivered. With a swipe of one of its tails, the prima dispelled the cloud of dust and soil, making Jake see that it had an arrow sticking out of its shoulder. It looked more annoyed than angry as it ripped it out, stared a bit at the poison, and then tossed it aside. It stood in a weird pose, with one hand on the wound and another over its forehead, just looking at Jake. Can't talk, can you? he asked the beast, as it looked to have calmed down a bit after being infected by the poison. At least Jake thought so, until he felt its real intent. Fucker was just buying time. It saw that he noticed and smiled at him, removing its hand from its forehead to reveal a glowing, silvery motif. The motif didn't at all fit the rest of the monkey's golden hide, and neither did its effect, as just a moment later, the prima disappeared. Not invisibility, either, as his fear of perception made him know it truly was gone. Even the mark was gone, and so was any response from sense of the malefic viper. Jake was stumped, and had decided to flee. He stood there, confused for a bit, wondering what the hell to do, then dodged to the side, narrowly avoiding a whip like tail that would have taken his head off. Where the monkey had disappeared from, a new figure now stood. It looked a lot like the prima, But its hide was white, almost silvery, and its tails looked more like those of a dervish than a regular light-tailed monkey. But Jake's identifying instincts made him aware it was the same beast: Fanta Light-tailed Monkey Prima, level 134. Jake was confused, as this figure was completely unharmed. All the small wounds from earlier were gone, there was no poison in its system, and even his mark was no longer there. Some kind of double-body skill, or is it just its long-lost brother? Ultimately, it didn't matter. What mattered more was that this new figure was quite different. Not just in appearance, but style. Dervishes were tough due to their three tails constantly attacking. Unsurprisingly, five was a lot worse. Jake dodged and weaved, blocking with his scimitar and venom fang all the time, yet still getting hit here and there. The wings on his back were pumping out poison, making the Prima now target those. It moved in closer and momentarily stunned Jake by suddenly making it feel like a mountain was pressing down on his shoulders. He used both weapons to protect his vitals, but this allowed the monkey to go for its true targets. Like two snakes clamping down, two tails moved and stabbed through the fleshy parts of the wings. With Jake now being unable to move them and distracted, two other tails swept down, and severed both wings entirely, making Jake hiss in pain. Yet he couldn't be outdone. He took the four tails being busy as a chance to attack. He pushed himself forward and found that, while the beast was faster than him, he won out on pure strength. He stabbed Venom Fang into the arm used to block his blow and had his scimitar blocked by the fifth tail, which left just his final weapon—his teeth. The monkey looked surprised when it raised its other arm to attack and Jake happily chomped down. His canines were already coated in a highly potent toxin. Yes, while had said he really didn't think he would ever use that part of Fangs of the Malefic Viper, the opportunity was just too good, and his instinctive way of fighting didn't really take into account any potential embarrassment after the fact. Boom! Jake was instantly impacted by a massive wave of force that aimed to send him flying back, but he had predicted it. He released his own wave of disruptive mana from his pores, resulting in both him and the monkey just exploding mana into the other's face. Their whole stalemate was disrupted when the hunter was forced to let go with his mouth due to two tails coming down to smash his skull. At the same time, it also allowed him to sweep up with his scimitar and land a long cut across the chest of the monkey as he took a step back, poisoning the prima even more while draining a bit of health. The prima attacked back, and they proceeded to brawl a little in melee, Jake taking the occasional wound, but landing two in return. His opponent tried many different techniques, all variations of what other monkeys had used on him before. This allowed Jake to predict many attacks, and it eventually allowed him to dodge under an attack and, with a swipe, cut off one of the monkey's tails in a moment where the Prima failed to strengthen it with mana. However, he wasn't dumb. He swiftly took a small step forward and teleported back, summoning his bow. He quickly knocked an arrow, drew the string, and loosed the arrow for the beast that was already preparing to dodge to the side, but found itself frozen by gaze yet again. Another arrow penetrated the monkey's stomach and sent it flying back, blood flowing from several wounds on its body and the poison spreading throughout. It was far less durable in its silvery form, and Jake happily took advantage of that fact. He didn't let it relax, but instead kept attacking, at which point the Prima became nearly suicidal. It stormed him, slashing with its four remaining tails, clawing with its hands, and even trying to bite him a few times. It released a constant pressure that increased his weight, and every slap of the tail felt like he was hit by a sledgehammer. Clearly, it held nothing back. Jake felt like the entire situation was off, but he couldn't exactly just stop fighting. However, he did try to minimize his own wounds, and just by time, as he suspected not everything was as it seemed. Besides, the Prima was growing weaker by the second as the poison spread in its body. The injection from his bite was doing a hell of a lot. In a final clash, Jake took a nasty stab from a tail to his shoulder, but in return he severed the entire right arm of the Prima and sent it flying back with a kick. It coughed up blood when it smashed into a tree, and looked to be on the brink of death. Yet Jake still felt like something was off. A sense of wrongness only amplified when the monkey looked listlessly up at him and laughed, a huge grin on its face. It raised its one remaining arm to the golden symbol on its forehead as it disappeared. "'Oh, fuck me, this is bullshit,' Jake said, already knowing what would happen. He took a health potion and shoved it down to prepare for round three. A second later, the monkey reappeared with its golden fur back in near pristine condition. At least Jake still felt a faint trace of poison, the hematoxin he had inflicted before it switched to its silver form. At least it doesn't just fully yield itself when it does that bullshit, Jake bitterly thought, as he cracked his neck and stared down the prima, which just looked tauntingly back at him. Ah, what can you do? Jake had no intention to back down as he teleported back, drew his bow, and continued to fight. He just hoped there wasn't going to be any more monkey business going on. Chapter 9 Enjoyment There was going to be more monkey business going on. Once more, the Prima was fighting in a way that just didn't make any logical sense. It took far more damage than Jake with every exchange. In fact... It was even worse for the Prima now that it had changed back to its golden form. It relied on magic and ranged combat, which was A-OK with Jake. Its magic was something he was getting very used to, even if it did spice it up sometimes. At times, random areas around him would suddenly increase in weight, only making half of his body heavier, while at other times, the monkey threw a small stone that probably weighed a few tons post-weight amplification. The waves of force were also something he easily dodged by now, as he had learned most of the primus tells, and yet despite it all, he still couldn't help frowning. A few injuries here and there against a foe of equal or slightly greater strength was expected, so Jake did take quite a few blows, while the monkey looked to not give a damn about taking several poisoned arrows just to return a blow that did far less damage. "'Can it do that transformation again?' Jake asked himself, genuinely unsure." He believed it shouldn't be able to, based on how the golden version of the monkey had still been a bit wounded after it transformed back, and the silver version had been left close to death. Besides that, the silver symbol on its forehead thoroughly wasn't glowing. It was still there, and gave off an odd gray color with a bit of black mixed in. Jake even thought for a second it was due to toxins, as it looked almost deathly. But sense of the malefic viper didn't give off any response however, he was sure the symbol meant something. Maybe it truly was just a sign to show the silver version was out of commission. But then why did the monkey fight as it did? Had it given up for something? Decided to try and take him down with it? It was doubtful, because it looked to be in pretty high spirits, and even if it did try for mutual destruction, clearly the monkey would fall first based on how things were going. Does it not know I drank the health potion, and now believes my health points to be lower than they actually are? So many thoughts, just searching for an explanation, went through his head as he kept fighting and exchanging blows. Jake dodged under a blast and fired off one of three arcane bolts floating above him, making a hole in the monkey's barrier as the arcane mana tore it apart. He followed up with a quick arrow, penetrating the monkey's stomach and sending even more blood flying. The Prima retaliated by pointing all five tails forward, and releasing a massive wave of force that expanded in a giant cone in front of it. In a display that must have consumed ridiculous amounts of mana, it managed to make Jake lose his footing for a second, allowing the monkey to land a quick blast of force that sent him flying back. He felt a few ribs get pushed in, but nothing was broken. It did worsen his wounds a bit, but currently Jake was fine with not moving too fast. While he was confident the monkey had more tricks up its sleeves, Jake also had a trick, or, well, a potion cooldown. Perhaps the monkey noticed he was just dragging the fight out, too, as it finally decided to use its final card and change up the fight. It kind of had to do something, as it was dying of poison pretty damn rapidly. It released a few gigantic blasts, likely running itself out of mana, and it was only when it looked barely able to fight that it made its move. Jake was unsure what it would do until he saw it raise its hands towards its forehead once more. You've got to be fucking kidding me. The moment it touched the mark, the Prima disappeared, just like all the times before. He just took out his bow and began charging an arcane power shot, hoping to give it a good opening blow when it appeared again, which it did a few seconds later. Jake instantly fired his arrow before even seeing the figure fully appear. The arcane power shot tore through the air towards the Prima, but the monkey was already dodging before it was fully visible. Well, fuck, Jake thought, as he recalled something he had experienced before. The concept of altered time. Even if time had somehow been reversed, or perhaps the timeline changed, he still remembered all of it. It wasn't due to any bloodline shenanigans. The monkey just wasn't good enough at the concept to truly control time. It quickly used identify on the monkey to truly inspect its changed form. THENTAL LIGHT TAIL MONKEY PRIMA, LEVEL 134 Its level was unchanged, but its form was not. Before it had been hunched over, while now it stood with a straight back. It had even grown nearly half a meter to be as big as Jake. Its fur was now dull and gray, and it had several scars all over its body, including one across its forehead. The symbol there was gone, destroyed by whatever had caused the scar. Even more surprising was its back. Where five tails usually were, there was now only one, with four stumps surrounding it. The Prima looked older, far older, like it had gone from a young, arrogant master to an old veteran. Its demeanor had followed suit as it stood there silently observing him. Yet there was still a trace of impatience, not born of stupidity or inexperience, but from an inherent time pressure. It's a limited transformation, he instantly concluded." That was all he had time to think about before the monkey made its move. Or, well, had already made its move. It was in front of Jake the same moment he reacted, doing some more time-magic bullshit to allow it to move extremely fast, if Jake had to guess. It swung not with its tail, but its clawed hand. Those hands, which the monkey could barely use competently before, now soared towards Jake's throat like an eagle's talons, forcing him to bend back and dodge as he kicked the monkey in the abdomen. With grace, it dodged back as he did so, sliding across the ground before swiftly attacking again. Jake had his scimitar and dagger out now and blocked the first swipe with ease. He had expected to cut a bit into the bare arm of the beast but found its fur as hard as metal, no doubt caused by a skill of some sort. Jake moved forward as he compared his strength with the beast's. He was slightly pushed back as it retaliated, proving he was inferior in pure stats. Its speed was slightly above his, too. In a purely physical melee fight, it was a difficult foe to face, but Jake wasn't a purely physical melee fighter. He dodged back and swiftly began condensing two arcane bolts floating above him. The monkey hesitated for a second, allowing Jake to summon his bow. The moment he did so, the beast surely knew it had to attack if it was to avoid facing the hunter in a ranged battle. It only managed to take a single step before it froze up for a second, By the time it was able to move, an arrow struck its chest, finally delivering a good dose of poison. Or at least that was what Jake first experienced happening. Suddenly, the monkey became able to move a fraction of a second earlier than expected and dodged the arrow by the narrowest of margins. With Jake momentarily stumped by his own immense annoyance, he barely managed to block its next claw attack. This one was different. Like it had hit him with a fucking sledgehammer, he felt his arm buckle and the claw sink into his chest before sending him flying back into a tree. It was only after being sent flying that he noticed the faint white energy surrounding the hand. Jake nearly slapped himself. How the fuck could I forget the weak magic? Just because it now did time bullshit didn't mean it had lost its other school of magic. Jake did hurt a bit from the blow and had five small holes in his chest from the fingers of the monkey, but honestly that wasn't a big deal. His entire body was already a mess for the drawn out fight, and he was in many ways at a disadvantage. Yet, in an almost ironic twist of fate, time was on his side. The monkey could only remain in its current form for a limited amount of time, and Jake had his trick coming up. The monkey obviously knew it had limited time, as it continued its assault, while Jake stayed purely on the defensive. He blocked with his blade at every turn. His scales already summoned all over his body to lessen the damage a bit more. Throughout it all, he could feel the monkey building something up deep within itself, like something slowly being conjured and prepared. It gave Jake a small sense of dread, as he knew that the monkey before him was no longer as dumb as before. It had a plan to finish him off before its transformation ran out, a plan Jake naturally would prefer to do without. Their clash continued as they exchanged blows, They were far more even than one would expect, and Jake's many levels from committing monkey genocide came in tight. His agility allowed him to keep up, and even if his strength was subpar, he could make up for it with his magic. The Prima seemed pressured, yet sure of itself. It dodged his blows with grace, and counterattacked only when opportune, never overextending. A few clashes did end with both taking a heavy hit, yet just as Jake felt that happen, it became a feeling of deja vu another obvious weakness of that time magic trick. It worked on both parties. It truly was like it turned back time. Finally, the two clashed again, and Jake stabbed the monkey in the chest with his scimitar since he believed it had fucked up and finally overextended a step too far. He was proven wrong when the monkey suddenly flew backward. Only then did he notice its tail embedded in the ground behind it, acting as a rope to drag it back. At the same time, it chopped down on Jake's wrist with both its hands, making him momentarily lose all strength in it and allowing the monkey to effectively disarm him. Well... The monkey ripped the sword out of its own chest and tossed it into the air before catching it with its tail. This is annoying. With a swing of the tail, Jake was forced to dodge his own damn scimitar. While he was fully aware the blade wasn't actually active in the hands of the monkey... That didn't mean it wouldn't hurt to be hit by what was now practically just a metal rod. Fuck me, Jake thought as he got smacked in the side, the blow barely hurting but still throwing him off balance. The tail's power in its older veteran form was weaker than both its golden and silver form, but it made up for that in pure upper body strength and experience. On the back foot, Jake did what he could to avoid taking too much damage while trying to get some range between him and his foe. Without his best weapon, it was far too dangerous to fight the Prima in a straight battle. He leaped back and used one step mile the moment he landed. Teleporting away, he swiftly summoned his bow and turned in the air to fire a shot towards the monkey. It responded by punching the air and sending a wave of force out that broke all three exploding arrows midair, far too close to Jake for comfort. The resulting explosion sent the human flying back. While in motion... He became aware that it was time for the big turnaround, and just in time, as he saw that the Prima was about ready to do whatever the fuck it was planning, with great vigor he took out the small bottle and chugged it down as if his life depended on it, because it likely did. The warm liquid spread through his body and rapidly healed it. His sore arms began to feel more flexible, his aching bones regenerated and became tough and resilient once more. All of it happened within seconds, as the potion did its job and for the first time, Jake saw the Prima look truly surprised after its transformation. It was also the first time he saw it show anger and annoyance as it activated what it had prepared. Jake felt it before he saw it. An odd sense of pressure overtook the entire area as the symbol covered by the scar lit up on the Prima's forehead. Its light was intense enough to shine through the scar tissue and be fully visible. The symbol's color started as gray, then bisected. One side turned golden and the other silver. This energy spread down the upper body of the Prima as Jake saw the symbol itself split in two directions and also begin moving. He saw it glide across the skin of the monkey due to its shining until, finally, both symbols found their home on the back of the Prima's hands. And then... Then it attacked. The first hand's punch released a massive wave of force towards Jake. At the same time, it took a step forward and practically teleported to him, as it swung the other in an overhead punch. The shockwave hit exactly at the same time as the punch, as if it had somehow been delayed. Jake raised both his arms to block the hit and the blast simultaneously, even summoning a barrier of arcane mana as quickly as he could. Boom! Scales and blood flew out everywhere as the punch landed, and Jake felt both his arms hurt like hell. It was pretty sure his left one was broken, The arm with the silver symbol on it was like the pinnacle of a melee weapon, while the golden one was now a master of releasing its magic. Jake was sent flying back, but he had managed to get a bit of a counterattack in at the final moment. The Prima stumbled back in a loud screech, now covered in a liquid that it had been the cause of releasing. Blood. More accurately, blood infused with blood of the malefic viper. It looked at the human furiously, its eyes red from sprayed blood and burning with rage. Jake just slowly stood up from the tree he had hit, cracking the bone on his left arm back in place as he stared back at the prima. Their eyes met, and they moved simultaneously. Jake jumped and dodged a blast of force that blew a huge hole in the tree he'd just been at, a bow already in hand as he fired an arrow at the prima. It reacted by swatting it away with his own scimitar, making Jake grumble a bit before firing another shot. The Prima only had its current form due to a temporary power-up. Now it had used another power-up that also felt very temporary. By all accounts, Jake should just try to open up space, buy some time, and play it safe. It would be the smartest thing to do. So, of course, Jake charged a fast arcane power shot as he took a step at the same moment, appearing straight before the surprised Prima that had expected him to make the smarter choice. It was even more surprise when it was punched in the face. Because the thing is, there was something Jake valued far more than being efficient and smart in a fight. Enjoying it. Chapter 10 Fragmented Boom! The Prima was sent flying back as Jake's hand exploded in an assault of arcane mana the same moment he punched it. Its silly belief in Jake playing it smart had clearly backfired on it, as Jake was more than happy to be risky. The reason he had held back before was due to the uncertainty of what it was cooking up, but now, now he knew he could face it head on. His opponent got up with a nosebleed, looking more than a little pissed as it zoomed forward. Jake was ready as he met it. He had also decided to now hold nothing back. More energy than ever began streaming from his pores until the ground cracked beneath his feet. The internal flow of his energy sped up to new levels as his body began overflowing with power. He hadn't done it many times since reaching D-grade, but Dan, did he love the feeling? Limit break at 10% had been active the entire fight, but now he pushed it to 20%. All his capabilities instantly increased as he clashed with the beast. He had lost his primary melee weapon, but that didn't mean he didn't have any. In fact, he had a whole lot of them. In a hand not holding venom fang, an arrow appeared, one he had no intentions of using with a bow. It did mean that the arrow wouldn't benefit from a lot of what made it good, but it could still be used to stab stuff. The monkey clawed at him with its swift hand, leaving a silver trail after every swipe that burned with energy and cut into Jake's scales of the malefic viper. In return, he stabbed an arrow into the shoulder of the beast and, in just as swift a motion, pulled one from his quiver and slammed it down too. His venom fang was used to deflect the golden hand that the monkey extended in a palm hit, firing off a massive shockwave. Jake followed up with another quick job and a kick to the monkey's leg, which made it decide that enough was enough. It slammed its hands together. Yet another shockwave of golden and silver light hit him, and Jake felt his body lighten for a moment as he was sent flying back only to become heavy and slam straight down. Another explosion created yet another crater as Jake was forced to quickly roll away from the monkey. It had jumped and slammed its foot down where his head had just been. Jake felt quite a bit of aching all over his body from that last one. Not that the Prima was doing any better. It had two arrows sticking out of it, one of them coated in his hemotoxin. It had tried to avoid being too poisoned but fighting someone like Jake, it was truly impossible to altogether prevent it. Without waiting for the beast to make the first move again, Jake moved in closer and tried to stab it with another arrow. The monkey was having none of that. Its silver claw flew up and just straight up ripped the tip of the arrow off, making the entire arrow disperse. The golden claw flew up and tried to blast his head off, but Jake tilted it by dodging the blow and landing an uppercut on the monkey. It grit its teeth as it was lifted off the ground for a moment, before it suddenly slammed straight back down, also slamming its tail into Jake with the full might of its weight magic behind the blow. His own scimitar crashed into his shoulder from above, bringing him to his knee as he felt like something broke. Yet he also took the opportunity to grasp out with his other hand and push the monkey to the ground, the hand glowing a dark green. The Prima stabbed its silver hand into Jake's guts as he held it down, But he didn't let up. Instead, he kept pumping touch of the malefic viper into its body. Jake even knelt down a bit and flexed his muscles to make the monkey unable to retract its hand from inside his body. He used his other hand to hold the golden hand away so it couldn't blast him off and just then it blasted him from an awkward angle. This is getting damn annoying, Jake thought, as he landed softly on the ground, a trail of blood in his wake that sizzled as it hit the ground. The monkey also screeched angrily, as its silver hand looked like it had just been put into a vat of acid, which it kind of had, considering Jake's use of the blood of the malefic viper on all the blood around where the monkey had stabbed its hand in. But he was beginning to learn. He got a faint tingling in his mind as it cast its time magic, a sense of wrongness. He got it after, while, and before it happened, as weird as that sounds. Jake felt that if he could feel it, he could impact it somehow. Both parties clashed once more, landing blow after blow on the other. The confidence of the prima had begun waning long ago, as it seemingly found the human before it far more resilient and resourceful than expected. Jake too was surprised. Despite its weak-looking state, the monkey was tough and durable. Its ability to avoid most blows to vital areas helped it immensely. In the end, the big difference maker was once more the poison. Its time magic could help it heal immediate wounds, but the accumulated poison was still too much. The monkey was clearly aware it had to finish things now or it wouldn't end well. And while Jake didn't have to, he chose to face it in a final clash. Be it due to arrogance or well-founded self-confidence, he genuinely believed he had no way to lose. They flew at each other, and Jake saw the symbol on the half-rotten and broken silver hand move to its other one, At the same time, the entire arm began glowing with newfound energy. But Jake was also fully aware the monkey's entire arm could only handle a single blow before breaking apart from the sheer stress caused by the power. Jake himself placed both his hands on Venom Fang, focusing every fiber of his being on the weapon. He pumped mana into it to strengthen it, and even coated it in a bit of excess mana. At the same time, he tried to use Descending Dark Fang. He instantly felt his intended action fail, but he wasn't taking no for an answer. He forced his will upon the blade until the arcane mana swirled and extended as an edge, the dark mana burning into it meanwhile. In the end, the energies were forced to mix and mingle, destroying one another until they finally reached equilibrium and split away from each other. The arcane mana formed a coating around the entire dagger, looking almost like the weapon was made of crystal, while the dark mana swirled around that. The whole blade was volatile as he, with both hands, stabbed it down towards the head of the Prima. At the final moment, it dodged to the side, prepared to strike, only to find that Jake had also halted his blow, not doing as he was supposed to. It was too late for the Prima, which smashed its fist towards Jake's face in an attack that would undoubtedly blow his entire head off. An attack that resulted in the Prima learning that while it certainly was a talented user of time magic, it wasn't the only one who could use the concept. Moment of the primal hunter. Time slowed as Jake saw the fist about to impact his head. He swiftly moved around it and stabbed his dagger down towards the head of the prima. The moment he did so, he felt it try to once more interfere, and for a fraction of a second, he saw the despair in the eyes of the monkey as it realized. This was a moment that didn't belong to it. A moment where it was utterly suppressed by a superior concept of time everything returns to usual as the clash happened one fist missed the human and sent a wave of golden and silver light flying out tearing up a huge part of the forest as the prima's entire arm was mangled by its own power however it failed to hit the human with anything but a bit of the remnant energy the other attack came from the dagger that swirled with a mix of arcane and darkness plunging down into the skull of the prima and releasing two loud cracks one from the broken skull and the other from the dagger itself. A torrent of arcane and darkness penetrated the entire body of the Prima as the edge extended, and its screech of pain turned to silence. You have slain Penta Tail Monkey Prima, level 134. Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. Ding! Class, Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached level 113. Stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. Ding! Class Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached level 114, stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. Ding! Race Human, D, has reached level 108, stat points allocated, plus 15 free points. Ding! Class Avaricious Arcane Hunter has reached level 115, stat points allocated, plus 10 free points. Jake stood almost frozen as his arm shook from the impact of his own attack. The energy around the dagger faded away and revealed the form of Venom Fang. It had a large crack down the middle, with many small fractures throughout. He instantly knew this battle would be the last for the good old reliable Fang. As for the attack he had unleashed at the end, it was yet another skill upgrade that had come in clutch. One that shouldn't really have come as a surprise, given how much he had been practicing using his arcane mana. He'd even made a few arcane edges here and there. Descending Dark Fang, rare. A fang coated in dark mana descending like the clamping mouth of a snake. Do a downward strike with a melee weapon, significantly increasing penetrative power and damage inflicted. Dark mana makes the wound harder to heal and drains energy until dispelled. Damage improved further if the weapon is benefiting from Twin Fang style. Adds a small bonus to the effect of agility, strength and intelligence when using Descending Dark Fang. Upgrades to... Descending Dark Arcane Fang, Epic. A fang that strikes from the darkness, clamping down with the fury of your arcane. Infuse your blade with a mixture of dark and arcane mana as you do a downward strike, significantly increasing damage done and penetrative power. Dark mana makes the wound harder to heal and drains energy until dispelled. Arcane mana creates a powerful coating and extends the edge while increasing all its basic capabilities. Damage improved further if the weapon is benefiting from Twin Fang's style. Adds a bonus to the effect of agility, strength, and intelligence when using Descending Dark Arcane Fang. The skill had gotten stronger in every way, even if its name was beginning to look a bit silly. Either way, Jake couldn't help feeling accomplished. He had won. Gotten a skill upgrade and three whole levels for the effort, too. Even with how slow leveling was supposed to get in D-grade, Jake had an extreme pace likely due to the difficulty of the foes he faced. He was truly living up to the name of his class, and surely increasing his speed even further. Jake stood and smiled as he looked down on the dead monkey. He was slightly perplexed when he saw the Prima slowly turn to dust, its eyes still wide open with surprise, but he nevertheless spoke his genuine thoughts to the figure moments before it disappeared. Good fight. Jake saw the entire figure of the Prima disappear, leaving nothing behind but a small piece of golden metal and a core. he quickly used Identify on the golden fragment, and it left him more confused than anything else. Key fragment of the Exalted Prima, unique. A key fragment to the seat of the Exalted Prima. Collect three fragments to form the key of the Exalted Prima to gain access. I guess it is good to know the system can still be like a video game sometimes, Jake thought, with a small chuckle. Maybe collecting the key with a mock, a secret boss, or a treasure vault. By the way, it sounded like something he was definitely going to do. As for the second item, it was, of course, the Beast Core. Pentalite Tail Monkey Prima Beast Core, D-Grade. A Beast Core left behind by a D-Grade Pentalite Tail Monkey Prima, containing remnants of its records within. Can be used as an alchemical ingredient for many types of creations, but is most often found in elixirs. Contains powerful energy related to the concept of time, Jake looked at it for a bit, then picked it up together with the fragment and, of course, his dropped scimitar. It was good to have that back. While getting a key fragment and a beast core may have seemed a bit shitty for the tough fight, Jake totally got it. It would be weird if creatures out in the wild just dropped random high-rarity items. It would break the economy and make most crafters obsolete, for sure. Maybe dungeons still do a bit of that. Hmm... It was also a bit weird that the monkey just turned to dust and left a key behind, sure, but well, what can you do? Jake wouldn't really feel comfortable running around in an old monkey's hide anyway. That would just be weird. As he stood there, looking at the core and thinking of what he could possibly make with it in the future, or what someone else could make, he remembered something slightly important. Oh yeah, World Congress. He checked the time and saw that he still had a bit less than ten hours. Plenty of time. Funny a time. Jay could get back in three hours, tops. He was more than good on time. Well, he did feel like shit, so maybe a bit more than an hour, as he needed to wait for his potion cooldown to be up. The fight with the monkey had lasted nearly two hours, the vast majority of it spent just on the ranged parts of the fight. It was actually a damn long time for two D grades to battle. With all that in mind, Jake had plenty of time to check out that ancient, sinful temple the Prima had been guarding and going into while Jake was busy slaughtering the entire local light-tail monkey population. Maybe he was hiding all its shiny stuff there in a dark cell. The chains hung from above, ancient magic marked every part of the walls and floors within a single being was trapped. The figure opened its eyes as the chains that bound it rattled to the movement a mighty beast. It barely had time to realize why it had been awakened before one of its chains broke, and the spike that had been inserted in its body vanished. A single seal was now broken, a single stub where something had once been now regrowing, a single stub of 999, 998 chains remained, 998 spikes sealing the beast. The figure closed its eyes once more, as it waited for release. Chapter 11 The Calm Before the Politics He wasn't sure if he should be disappointed or not as he entered the central temple. The inside sloped down a bit as he entered a small underground chamber, a perfect place for a secret treasure vault. What he found instead was just a damn bush... tree thing. As he looked at it, he actually found it a bit odd that his sagacity of the malefic viper didn't toss out a snippet of knowledge. His herbology skill was also not giving him any idea what the hell he was looking at. Luckily, the system still came in tight and offered a nice explanation as he used identify. Ancient Celerita Musa, ancient. This plant has been grown from an ancient Musa seed and brought new life by the advent of the system, also commonly called a banana tree, This plant produces different sorts of bananas, a type of fruit unique to the newly integrated planet Earth. This tree has become intimately connected to the concept of time through unknown means, making its growth pattern highly unpredictable. Destroying this tree will have unpredictable effects, and using it in any kind of alchemical creation will require one to first anchor it in time, can only grow in certain areas with intense amounts of mana. You learn something new every day. Jake actually thought bananas grew on trees, something the system acknowledged. Maybe he was just being extra nice with these new things and giving all of that sweet info. Either way, it was much appreciated. As for the banana musa itself, well, this was without a doubt the rarest and most powerful herb Jake had ever come across. He felt the pressure just standing before it as he observed the weird plant. It looked like it was growing in real time. At least, it was until suddenly it wasn't. A minute or so later, a part of it suddenly began growing in the opposite direction, in other words, began retracting into itself as if time reversed. That was likely because time kind of did reverse. This was a time tree, time musa, whatever. Anyway, kind of awesome, not going to lie. It wasn't very big, only about five meters tall, though it was pretty wide with its large leaves. There was nothing else in the entire underground chamber, aside from a few other minor herbs, that Jake decided he might as well just pick up. As he stood there, considering that, something happened on the plant. One of the flower-like growths suddenly appeared to bloom, as four small bumps began growing out. Within less than a minute, the bumps took the shape of bananas, and the growth stopped. The bumps were, to the surprise of no one, bananas, yellow and ripe, looking just like what Jake was used to buying in the supermarket. Jake was pretty sure modern bananas were selectively bred or something like that, but who's going to complain about delicious-looking bananas? He went up to the tree. Yes, Jake had decided to just call it a tree because it looked a bit like a tree and felt like he'd passed a weird barrier as he got close. He felt like time was being ever so slightly affected in the area a few meters around it. Using identify on the bananas, Jake was honestly a bit taken aback. Celerita banana, rare. As a banana from the ancient Celerita Musa, this fruit contains intense amounts of Celerita Affinity mana with agility-enhancing effects. This fruit can be used in many different creations and is especially suited for flasks and elixirs. Due to this banana's origin, it will be returned to the rivers of time if it is moved too far from the tree. Consuming or transforming the fruit will anchor the energies in time, removing this effect. Plus three agility upon consumption. This was the second natural treasure he had seen that just stated how many stat points it gave, the first being the Argentum vitae mushrooms all the way back in the challenge dungeon. These bananas were clearly a step better, giving three stat points each. With four of them, that was just twelve free agility. Well, not entirely free, as with most things there was a cap. Jake had considered at one point if the rich and entitled kids of the multiverse couldn't just have their mama and papa give them a mountain of elixirs and whatnot to instantly make them absolutely overpowered for their level, but that, luckily, wasn't a thing. Millie had explained to him that the cap was actually quite low and based entirely on race level. For levels 1 to 24, aka F grade, you could get three stat points per race level. For E-grade, you could get 5 per level, and D-grade, 15 per level. This ultimately resulted in Jake having a maximum cap of stat bonuses from consuming stuff that sat at 585. Of course, he had already used a bit of that. Jake had eaten his way to a total of 86 stat points gained, 51 of it in vitality, 25 in toughness, and 10 in willpower. The stats were coming from the elixir he had chugged down after clearing the Valley of Tusk's dungeon, the fucked-up concoction he had made to clear the Challenge dungeon, and the mural with the history of the Malefic Viper in that same dungeon. Yes, things like that glimpse counted towards this cap, too. This cap was pretty much everything you could get from outside sources. There was one big difference between this and something like equipment, though. First of all, it counted towards base values— And secondly, there was no limit to increasing any one stat. This meant Jake could go drink perception-increasing elixirs and get 499 perception at his current level if he so wanted. Which he kind of did want, but that wasn't the current issue. The current issue was that he was under time pressure in front of a giant time tree thingy that he really wanted, and based on all the descriptions going around, there was some magic going on he didn't really understand. He did understand that he couldn't just take the bananas that were growing on the tree. Maybe he could put them in his storage, but he had a feeling they wouldn't come out the way he wanted them. The barrier around the tree was likely what kept them ripe as they currently were, and he would have to find a way to anchor them before using them in any alchemical creation. Well, with the four bananas that had just grown, he angered one the easiest way possible by grabbing and peeling it. You have assimilated a powerful energy of agility. 3 agility. "'Damn, these are good!' he spoke out loud as he munched on it. He had always liked bananas. They were like the candy of fruit and fit in any good smoothie. Banana cake was also good. Jake didn't hesitate to eat all four of them, getting a sweet plus-twelve agility total. If all things went well, this would only be the beginning. Jake then took out an item he hadn't used for a long time, his Omni Omnitool. Omni Tool, rare. A favorite for nearly all professions— This tool is made of a liquid metal that can take on any pre-programmed shape that the user desires. While unsuitable for combat, it has incredible application when it comes to performing nearly any recreational task. Enchantments? Self-repair. It was an item he forgot about 99% of the time, and should have totally given to some of the crafters back at Haven, so it didn't just sit uselessly in his spatial storage like so many other things. Anyway, with that in hand, he transformed it into a giant shovel. Now, did Jake have any idea if he could even steal the banana tree? No, not at all. How to properly move it? Of course not. Was it possible it could only grow within this temple and he would just kill it? It sure was. Did he 100% bank on his valley counting as an area with intense amounts of mana due to the pylon? He sure did. Was Jake 100% taking a chance as he decided to dig up the entire tree and relocate it to outside his lodge, just to get a cool-ass banana tree? Yes. Guess he was. Shit, what is the worst that can happen? I kill a tree and still get some weird-ass time-tree moosa thing I can play around with? Jake thought, as he began digging it up, finding it a bit annoying that the soil randomly moved back from where he had just dug it up from. Time magic and all that. Jake was just going to risk it all and try to steal it. He knew it was a high-risk, high-reward move, but if he was candid, he wasn't sure he would ever come back here. This temple was in an area that would be swarmed with new degrades within a day or two, once they noticed the prima was dead, and a new alpha would claim the tree. Could Jake just kill that new alpha? Sure, but he was also confident it wouldn't be nice to him and save the bananas. So Jake would have had to cut it down, or try something similar to that anyway. No way he would just leave it here. It was also damn far away from Haven, and it wasn't like he could position anyone here. Even Misty and Hawkey wouldn't be safe at the temple with the kinds of beasts he'd seen around the place. Eventually, Jake realized he had to dig around the barrier of the tree to prevent the soil from replacing itself all the time. Stupid tree. He dug around the tree at a radius of three meters or so away. It did take around two hours, which still left plenty of time to go back. Him missing the World Congress had never been an option. He would rather say, fuck this tree and fly back right away if getting it meant missing the meeting. Because while he didn't give much of a shit for all the political bullshit that would be going on, that was for Miranda to handle, there was something he had genuinely been looking forward to. Meeting his family. He was only willing to spend this time to bring the tree back because he did have time. There was just one minor issue left. Now, how do I carry this? Miyamoto cleaned his blade as he waited. Not because he expected to use it, but to clear his mind as he got more used to his reforged body. His blue robe was in impeccable condition, and he was ready. His great-granddaughter was already waiting at the pylon together with his grandson and one of the managers. He had also gotten word that the two other pylons had prepared, each bringing in four people. This meant the Noboru clan would have twelve representatives present at the World Congress their preparations had been excellent and miyamoto was especially looking forward to finally laying his eyes on earth's elites jacob drank a cup of coffee as he read over the latest reports and prepared for their final meeting before the world congress the pylons had the ability to link up and connect to each other which was undoubtedly one of the major reasons for the world congress as it required either the owner lord or someone with an assistant profession to meet another representative Naturally, the Holy Church had already linked up their three pylons to better facilitate cooperation. The hope of this World Congress was not just to link with a few of the remaining factions. They aimed to at least reach some kind of agreement with 90% of other pylon holders. Caleb rocked back and forth with his son, taking the time to clear his mind and relax before the World Congress. Maya was with them and discussing the upcoming meeting, not just between the many faction leaders around Earth but also the reunion with Jake. There were many powerful people on Earth, and while Caleb did believe in Jake, he was still as worried as any family member would be. They hadn't met in over half a year, and to say that a lot had happened during that time would be an understatement. His only consolation was the divine message he'd received from Umbra, saying his brother was fine. Besides that, he had only heard some vague rumors that might or might not pertain to Jake. He had to be honest. It would be good seeing his big bro again. Remember, we do not seek any hostile relationships with any factions, Priscilla said, with a big smile to the three people in the room with her. Play it safe, be courteous, and recognize that some may be scared, at least to begin with. This will be the first time for many to see a risen. It is our job to make the first impression a pleasant one. One of those in attendance was Casper looked like he was listening, but was actually more busy thinking about how much he really didn't want to attend the World Congress, and at the same time, how much he would hate to miss it. On the one hand, it would mean meeting many people who would hate him by default just because he was an undead. His general aura, amplified by his powerful curse skills, didn't help either. But on the other, it would be good to see Jake, and even Jacob again. At least he hoped it would. "'I am not wearing a fucking dress,' Carmen said as she looked at the other woman entering the room. "'No one says you have to,' the older woman answered with a shrug. "'Just remember we aren't going to fight. Who even knows if we will be able to fight? It would be quite silly if the First World Congress ended in a bloodbath.' "'That does sound more fun than sitting around a table with dim lights discussing trade,' Carmen sighed, annoyed she even had to attend.' The woman in front of her was a current city lord, while she had taken the title of city owner. She was called Pam, and the only reason Carmen had picked her was that she was the only one she had gotten along with of all the annoying survivors she'd come across so far. Oh, and she was her old boxing coach. "'Who knows? Maybe something fun will happen,' Pam said with a smile as she sniffed the air. "'However, one thing you are doing before the meeting is taking a shower. No discussion.' Many other factions around Earth prepared for the approach of this key geopolitical event, a meeting between the most prominent factions of the planet. It would be the time to forge alliances that could last for ages to come. No faction dared take it lightly. All with just the slightest hint of competency knew this, and even if they didn't have the smarts, most at least still had intuition skills related to being the city lord that made them aware of how important it was. Jake, "'What the hell are you doing?' Miranda yelled as she stood half-panicked at the pylon, watching a figure descend carrying what looked like a small fucking island with a plant on it. Jake's response was to throw Neil, who stood beside her, a glance and a smile. "'Big hole there. Now,' he said, as he pointed at the ground beside the lodge. "'You want to—' Neil started before Jake just threw him a glance.' Neil sighed and used his space magic to create a hole in the ground by teleporting a cube of dirt away, a task he had done quite a lot these days while helping with the construction efforts at the fort. Jake happily plopped the tree down, then began filling the hole with dirt and trying to make sure it would survive. The flight back had sure as hell taken a bit longer than expected. Who would have thought that flying with an ancient rarity natural treasure would attract attention? Well, he should have guessed it. Either way, the banana tree was safely returned with... Nine minutes remaining. I need a shower, he said, as he stood there, covered in dirt. At least he had managed to pump enough mana into the self-repair enchant during the flight back to restore his clothes to top condition. Then hurry up, Miranda yelled, her panic overpowering her usual restraint. Geez, I'm on it, I'm on it, Jake said, as he jumped over to the pond. He entered it, then swam around a little before jumping out and, with his mana, pushing off all the water to dry himself. A final alchemist's purification was used on himself for good measure. All right, ready to go, he said, as he stood there, staring at them. All of them looked at him a bit hesitantly before Lillian finally spoke up. We did kind of plan on going with more formal attire. To which Jake had the perfect response. Excuse me, this is premier dungeon boss fur and leather. Which was about as far as they got before a system message popped up in front of Jake and Miranda, warning them, there was one minute left. Jake had also gotten one at the one-hour mark, which had been a bit stressful. With everything ready, the four of them prepared for the start of the First World Congress. Chapter 12 The World Congress Begins Jake, Miranda, Lillian, and Neil all stood at the lodge as the timer ticked down. The question of who would attend the World Congress had never been an issue for Jake. In fact, he didn't have any input at all. he left it all up to Miranda to handle. The only ones he could possibly bring along were birds, and birds weren't known to be great political negotiators. Or maybe they were. Misty did come off as very smart, even by human standards. Either way, Miranda managed to fire off a few quick bullet points in the final seconds. Mainly, avoid fighting, politics and good relations first, no starting wars, let her take charge of the primary negotiations, no killing other city lords and or owners, and other such essential things. When the timer reached a zero, Jake and Miranda both got the option to join along with the ability to invite up to two people total. Neil and Lillian were naturally chosen. With everything in order, they accepted and disappeared from the valley. Jake appeared with the three others inside a large circular room that was much akin to a conference room of the old world. He stood on a small platform with a table and four chairs in front of him, He also immediately noticed similar platforms to his sides, except the one he was on was slightly raised compared to the others, and the design of the table was also a bit different. The most significant difference was a sign saying, Haven, Earl. The one to his immediate right had the name "Saya Viscount, while the one to his left said Sant Domo Viscount. Jake counted nine of these Viscount platforms total, with theirs being the only one with the Earl tag. Ten or so meters separated each platform, and Jake felt that each had a barrier of sorts surrounding it, one Jake naturally ignored with his sphere of perception. Well, that wasn't so significant a thing, as the barriers were invisible and didn't affect sight at all. Do we take a seat? Neil tried to ask before figures appeared to their sides. Before Jake even had time to inspect anyone in his sphere, he felt the auras. To his left, a serene presence appeared that sought to soothe all around it. It inherently had magical and mind-affecting properties, and was one Jake recognized instantly as his old superior, Jacob. There was another presence mixed in, that of a middle-aged man, but it was nothing compared to Jacob's. Beside those two, there was also Bertram and a woman. To his right, the aura he felt was far different. It was the reason that the first direction he looked wasn't towards his old boss, Casper, or even his own brother, whom he had already noticed with his sphere. Now he looked straight at an old man who met his gaze with a smile. This was the first human that Jake had ever met that made his instincts won him so directly. That old man wasn't simple, not at all. The old man looked towards Jake, and they both sized up the other until, finally, the man bowed. Jake returned his greeting with a deep nod. Their eye contact never broke, as both saw something similar in the gaze of the other, a desire to fight. Yet they both knew now wasn't the time, and they broke their staring contest, just as they began attracting the attention of their companions. Jake saw the old man speak, but couldn't hear his voice. Guess I just found out what the barriers do. Who is that? Miranda asked, also feeling the aura, though she appeared more affected by Jacob, based on how she kept throwing glances his way. Someone strong, Jake answered, as he also looked to his left, toward Jacob— Jacob regarded him with a nod in turn, which Jake gladly reciprocated. Well, Jacob seems normal, as normal as someone with that auger stuff going on can be. All right, Miranda said, as she also now truly inspected the platform with Jacob on it. Sanct Domo. And the auger. How do you know him? Miranda had read the notebook Jacob had given Jake, which included a description of the auger class. From the looks of it, She had put two and two together, especially after meeting Neil and talking about having met the man. That she wasn't entirely clear on their relationship was only natural. He used to be my boss, Jake answered nonchalantly, as he turned his attention towards the two other people in the large hall that he knew had looked his way. Miranda just shook her head, not even bothering to deal with the bomb Jake had just dropped. That's the guy, Matteo asked as he looked over to the highest platform in the entire room, that of the singular earl on earth. He saw a masked figure wearing nearly all black clothes, giving off quite a mysterious and unapproachable aura. Thinking about it, the guy would fit in quite well with the rest of the quarter's shadows. I can't identify him, Nadia said as she shook her head, getting a glance from Matteo and the current manager of trade of Duskikin, the sole city controlled by the court. Nija had an upgraded version of identify that allowed her to better pierce normal obscurations, so if she failed to identify him, he had to have some great skill or technique behind it. As for the city lord of Skigen himself, Caleb looked over and saw Jake look back towards him. He met his yellow eyes and, despite their outward change, found his brother's gaze as familiar as ever. He saw the mix of relief and happiness in his eyes and Caleb could only return the sentiment as a wave of relief washed over him. Good to see you again, Jake. So far, only ten platforms were filled. It looked like the system brought in people based on nobility, with one Earl and nine Viscounts present so far. And while Jake's platform attracted a lot of attention because it was the only one that was Earl-tier, one attracted even more. It was the only platform that wasn't occupied by humans. At least not the usual definition of humans. The aura given off by that platform was different from all the others. It had an inherent concept of death seeped into it, making it automatically repulsive to most living beings who didn't possess the affinity themselves. Needless to say, this was more noteworthy than the three far stronger auras present, as it was simply too foreign. No one could speak to each other yet, but there were many whispers around the chamber, especially by the ones with the old man, as they were placed right beside the undead faction. The same was true for the faction on their other side, which consisted of a bunch of burly men and women who looked straight out of a medieval festival. All of them held axes or maces for some reason. Well, it wasn't that weird to have a weapon. Most did, and the majority at least had them sheathed. Jake threw a look the way of the undead, and saw Casper on the platform along with three others. The one in the lead was a woman with long white hair and equally white skin. She smiled like the negative attention didn't bother her, and seemingly tried to appear as inoffensive as possible. Casper looked like he wanted to make himself invisible. Should have gotten a mask, Jake joked to himself, honestly feeling bad for his old friend. There was power in wearing a mask, and Jake knew he would in no way feel comfortable with the attention currently on him without it. It was like a powerful shield that put a barrier between him and everyone else. I am there, buddy. After a few minutes of everyone sizing each other up and a bit of a dick-measuring contest in the form of auras, it was time for the rest of the chamber to fill up. People began appearing on the platforms one by one, nearly all of them with four people, but there were a few with less than that, In total, 94 new platforms were occupied, meaning a total of 104 pylons of civilization had been captured. Four more than the day it announced a week was left till it was World Congress time. A flood of auras overtook the room once more. Of the first ten factions, six of them had at least one D-grade on them. The old man, Jacob, Jake, the white-haired undead woman, the leader of those bulky cosplayers, and the tent platform's middle-aged woman. As for these new arrivals, all of them were E-grade except for three. All of them were automatically noteworthy for their strength, but one was more noteworthy than anyone else in the entire room, the dangerous old swordsman included. The two less noteworthy D-grades were a young, red-haired woman who already looked annoyed at being there, and a man wearing full-plate armor. As for the last one, it was the only individual who had shown up only with two and not be allowed three companions, He looked to be in his mid-thirties, with deep brown eyes, combed back hair, and a small moustache. Jake's first impression was that he looked relatively harmless. The aura he gave off did not threaten him either, but what he felt in the aura did. Jake felt an emotion he hadn't experienced before, an innate recognition of sorts. They both held something unique, something no one else possessed in the room besides them, a power that was theirs and theirs alone. A bloodline? The two men stared at each other for a while before the other guy raised his finger to his lips and made a shushing motion. Jake answered back with a toothy smile as he understood. No sharing secrets, eh? He could get on board with that. Jake spent the next minute or so observing others while being closely studied back by the various factions of Earth. Most attention on their platform was due to him as he was the sole D-grade, but Miranda, Neil, and Lillian also suffered quite the scrutiny— Miranda looked unfazed, Lillian like she didn't care, and Neil a bit uncomfortable. Jake himself hated every moment, as he hoped for the system to do something. Which luckily, it did. Welcome to the first World Congress of Earth. The World Congress is an opportunity for the newly integrated Earthlings to establish political connections and an arena for discussion, voting, and international politics that can impact the planet as a whole. Note that no fighting will be allowed during the World Congress. Each booth has an aura that will offer privacy to each city. During the first World Congress, three votes will be held with one three-hour intermission between each to discuss the proposal. The total length of the World Congress will be ten hours. The first vote will be held in one hour and pertain to the election of a world leader. The world leader will automatically have their noble rank advanced one stage. Becoming a world leader requires more than 60% of the total votes. Jake and everyone else got the notification. This was easily concluded as everyone suddenly stopped for a moment to take in the information. To be honest, it was a lot more formal than he had expected. A small part of Jake had expected this entire World Congress to be a big room they were all tossed into like the tutorial where Jake would have to dunk on some morons to set them straight. Luckily, or perhaps unluckily, this wasn't that kind of event. Though he would like to fight that old man with a sword. Maybe later... The whole world leader thing was a bit of a surprise and not something Jake expected was relevant here and now. Seriously, even if Jacob went full-on mental interference with his auger stuff, he couldn't convince 60% of the attending to vote for him. The task only became more daunting with the next message that popped up. Voting Rules of the World Congress The number of available votes is based on the nobility rank of the attending members. The number of votes per nobility rank is as follows. Earl, 10, Viscount. 5, Baron, 3, Lord, 1. The noble in question may distribute their votes as they choose if there are multiple options. The noble may abstain from voting. Votes are final and cannot be appealed. Any agreements will remain in effect until the next World Congress, or if all included parties choose to revoke it. All tiebreakers will be decided by the highest-ranking noble present at the World Congress. Going through that, it only became clearer how much harder it would be to be voted world leader the more prominent nobles had more votes, so you would have to commence the big factions to vote for you. It was without a doubt a feature not for this first World Congress, but for future ones, after the political landscape had formed and strong alliances were established. As for all the rules, Jake didn't like them. He already felt a few more eyes upon him now, likely due to that last sentence about the highest-ranking noble deciding at tiebreakers. Seriously, no way there was even going to be tiebreakers. Also, why did he need ten votes? Heck, Miranda had five, Lillian three, and Neil one. Their small group of four had 19 votes total. They were, without a doubt, the group with the most votes. If Jake had given Neil a baron title, it would be even more. Actually, maybe he should give out titles. That would be something to talk with Miranda about. With the final message out, a countdown appeared. Vote for First World Leader will begin in 59 minutes, 59 seconds. And with that, the barriers around each platform faded. They could still be reactivated, but now everyone was free to move. Everyone seemed hesitant until one person moved. A figure teleported from the tallest platform, first towards the middle of the chamber, then before the four people from Skuga and the Corda's Shadows. Three of them tensed up as the figure spoke to the only calm member of their group. "'Hey, Cal. How are Mom and Dad doing?' Jake asked. "'Did everything go well with Maya?' "'Yeah, they are doing quite well, considering the circumstances.' As for Maya, congratulations, you're an uncle now. Caleb gave a big, proud smile as he thought about his son. Damn, you'd know the system didn't do anything weird in that department, at least, Jake said. Genuinely relieved, but also feeling a bit weird. He had suspected he was an uncle now, but it was still something else to have it confirmed. Well, he was also kind of an uncle to Silphy, but Silphy was a bird, so that was different. Anyway, how have you been doing? Heard through the grapevine that you went and did some impressive stuff, Caleb said, with a raised eyebrow. Umbra hadn't given that many details, and confirmation from primary sources were always best. Oh yeah, it's been fun. You haven't slacked too much either, though you should really hurry up and get to D-grade. The evolution is damn nice. Jake was so embroiled in his reunion that he didn't care about the entire whole's focus being on him and Caleb. Miranda staring at him in confusion barely registered, and the three people with Caleb also just looked utterly baffled, as their boss clearly hadn't told them that the mystical progenitor they had been warned to stay away from was the brother of the judge. The two of them lit the spark and broke the ice of the entire hall. The tense competition of auras died down, and while many were still wary, especially towards the undead faction, they eventually began moving about. Soon, a dozen or so attendees began to group around Miranda, Lillian, and Neil. The reunion of two brothers split by the integration to the multiverse was something everyone could relate to. Many had lost touch with family, and so much uncertainty still remained for so many. The sight of two influential faction leaders just talking about family was human. It was an element that had been sorely lacking for many of those present. Many had spent the last few months just struggling, but perhaps this Congress was a time to return to something more civilized. Without Jake knowing it, his spontaneous action of impatiently approaching his brother had set the entire mood of the World Congress.